Dr. Elsie's is keeping cats in loving homes with veterinarian-formulated solutions, like their Cat Attract Litter that brings problem cats back to the litter box, or their best-selling Ultra Litter made with 100% natural clay. It's great at controlling odors and low in dust and tracking without added perfumes or harsh chemicals. Visit drlcs.com slash podcast to see why it's the litter cats love. That's D-R-E-L-S-E-Y-S dot com slash podcast. The 21st. So if you want to Merle it up live, you got to come to Vegas with us. Yep. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast. There we go. All right, we'll wait for uh, Bill WD-40 to get into Spreaker and lube us up for tonight's show. Uh, there he is. Hey, Bill WD-40, how are you? Uh, Midwest Night Watchers, good to see you. And uh, let's see, who else do we have here? There's, look at that, Paramarv's Merling it up. Uh, Steven Edmond, he's got some Merle love. Look at this. You're full of love tonight, Merle. Full of love. We're going to have a great show tonight. Taylor James is our guest from cultcollectibles.org. Yeah, this is going to be weird and eerie tonight. And uh, the Super Chat is open. Super Chat is a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. So if you can, go for it. Give us a thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways, whatever you want. And if you're new here, hit subscribe, ring that bell. We are trying to get to 20,000 subscribers before December 31st. We're almost there, people. We're about to have some fun. We're 10 seconds away. Our store is open on our website, spacedoutradio.com. Hi, Damian K. Good to see you. But right now, my friends, I need a favor. You need to put your horns up. Let's rock. snowy mountains of central british columbia to you listening around the world this my friends is spaced out radio i am your host dave scott sitting in the captain's chair of sor headquarters we welcome you to tonight's show and our terrestrial affiliates around north america digitally on odyssey radio talk stream live and kpnl all of our archives are free Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do us a favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at spaced out radio, Instagram at spaced out radio show, and on TikTok at spaced out radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. It is a power show of weirdness tonight on Spaced Out Radio as Merle is back for Ghosts of the Great White North. And our special guest from cultcollectibles.org is Taylor James. And this is going to get weird for you. We'll break it down momentarily in hour number three. Swamp Dweller is going to be here for the swamp as he takes us on a spooky journey. Then a special UFO report tonight with Tim Senor as Grantavius Max is going to be there. Kevin Day and Terry Hall all gathering for a UFO hunt 
down in Oregon. So we're going to have them all on here for the remainder of the show. All right, it is that time again where we bring in from the Paranormal Road Trippers our good friend, Merle. Yeah, Merle has been a paranormal investigator the last uh, 10, 15 years or so. In my opinion, one of the best in Canada, if not North America, when it comes to searching for all things paranormal and supernatural. But every now and again on Ghosts of the Great White North, instead of driving the paranormal highway, we like to take a detour. And this time we are heading into the macabre, the weird, the strange. Now, I'm going to forewarn a lot of you out there. This is going to be a very creepy show. Why? Well, our guest tonight, Taylor James, he owns a website called cultcollectibles.org. And what does he specialize in? Items from serial killers. From Jim Jones to Jeffrey Dahmer, he has items all over his place that belong to the most insane, mad, and ruthless serial killers that have ever walked this planet. Let's bring him on right now. Merle, my main man, how you doing, buddy? For the show tonight, and I'm excited for some show and tell from Taylor. Absolutely. And Taylor, mm -hmm. I want to say a big thank you for coming on Spaced Out Radio, my friend. It's good to have you here. And I got to start off with asking you, you know, how do you how does one person or anybody get into collecting serial killer memorabilia? I mean, this just sounds right out of the unordinary. Yeah, it's definitely a little um a little strange. Uh, thanks for that pretty epic intro, by the way. I appreciate that. Um, so, I mean, with me personally, there's a handful of other guys that do this for a living. There's a handful of other sites out there. Um, I started learning about those a little bit and thinking, well, you know, these people are getting these items from somewhere. Uh, how do I figure that out for myself? How do I, you know, build a collection without having to kind of pay a little extra uh, in a finder's fee? Um, so I just kind of spent a lot of time doing research and figuring out my own kind of ways of tracking things down, building some, a bunch of methods. And it sort of went from a weird hobby into a full-time job over the past four years. I am just absolutely stunned that there's a, a career out there for this. I, I mean, sure, there's a job for everybody. But to do to to actually do this, I mean, I I'm blown away. I am absolutely blown away that that uh, there is a market for what you do, and I'm not saying that insultingly, Taylor. I I'm just absolutely yeah. amazed. I mean, hey, if somebody gets to do and make money and a living off of what they love, no matter if you're you're yeah. making ten grand a year or you're making a million dollars a year. I'm all for it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, we should all be able at least once in our lives to do a job that we love rather than just working for some suit and padding his pockets. Yeah. For you, did you ever see this becoming a, your full-time business? Uh, no. I mean, it wasn't my intention at all from the beginning. I had a nine-to-five, and then I was sort of messing around with uh, reselling on eBay for a little while. And as I got a little bored of the nine to five, the eBay thing was a bit more enticing, uh, kind of like the thrill of the hunt, you know, 
I like to have a little more risk in my life where it was, I don't know how much I'm going to make this week. It's totally relative to how much work I put in. Um, and then eventually what happened with eBay to make a long story short, I had a few items pulled from there. Um, a few true crime related items. And I thought, you know, I had enough of an inventory of that, that I collected to sort of make a separate site. I thought it might be a small kind of side job. Um, Cause I would find a lot of things when I was thrifting or antiquing that I could put on there. Uh, and then didn't expect to give up the eBay thing. I thought that was kind of going to stick for a long time, but quickly it transitioned into just dealing in true crime stuff. I think I kind of spent any money I made, I sort of put back into it. So I, everything I would sell, I would just put into more inventory and more inventory to expand. And it got to the point where I had a, like a full store, so to say, wow. worth of uh, uh, items in that category. I, I got to ask you, is there that much demand out there for these items? Uh, yeah, it's so it's a bit strange, right? So some items, more rare things, <clears throat> very valuable, very expensive to procure for me um, and then sell for high prices. A lot of items or a lot of people want to collect like a small sort of entry level thing, right? Uh, people will want to buy, you know, out of print paperbacks or magazines or a letter from, you know, a, a kind of mid-level notoriety inmate. Um, so I, I kind of go through a lot of low-value inventory. And the kind of the kind of way I run the business is to put all that money into bigger items that I might not necessarily sell too often or all the time, but every once in a while, a specific buyer will come along looking for something um, something big, right? So it's sort of a, a balance of putting enough money into little things to kind of sustain it because there's a lot of collectors, even people who do oddities or horror stuff. They sometimes dabble a little bit into the true crime world. And then there's the kind of high end people who collect art or, or, you know, higher value assets. And then they also want to kind of almost invest in a way in some valuable true crime uh, history pieces. I want to ask you in regards to this, because you're basically like an art collector. That's the way you're, you're acting, you know, for, for your job. And I, and I think that's wonderful. You know, for you though, do do you ever, you know, sit back and look at the, uh, let me rephrase that. Do you have, how involved do you have to get in this in order to understand the value of a lot of these items that you collect or or own right now and, and have up for sale? I mean, it's sort of a, uh, the past three, I'd say three years has pretty much been just full-time on this. Um, a lot of that time was just trying to figure that out and learn that. Uh, there's a handful of places to look online for past auctions of items or people who have websites who are selling their uh, items as well. There's a few things to look at. A lot of it is kind of figuring it out as you go. Um, I sort of will get approached with something to buy or track something down to buy. And then have to think, maybe I could make this much, or maybe it's worth this much. I'm not sure. It's kind of always a balance of like, I mean, there's definitely a lot of items that I've lost money on, or um, items that I've, you know, sold and just broken even, um, which is, you know, fine. It happens. It's all learning experience. But basically, it's, there aren't a lot of comparisons to look to. A lot of this has to be sort of um, figured out as I go along. And I've only really built the business in figuring out every next step as I'm, as I'm doing it, you know? 
No, I, I can totally understand. Merle, let's get you in here. You know, I mean, how did you hook up with Taylor here? I mean, this is just absolutely <laughs> bizarrely awesome, man. It is. Um, we hooked up um, actually with Vancouver Paranormal Society. We They contacted me and they wanted to do kind of like a three-way collaboration on um, investigating some of his items. T- Taylor's, Taylor's place is awesome. He's an awesome guy. He's got... Thank you. It, he's got a museum. It, it, I don't know what other word to say. Like, like the the amount of items he has in there, preserved historically, would would blow your mind. From from like letters to paintings to personal items and and and, and beyond. And I th- I think he's he's it's kind of a, a touchy area for a lot of people. But clearly, there's a demand for stuff. But clearly, there's also an interest for stuff and. Here we are talking about it and having some show and tell in a bit. No, very true. And, we, and you've, uh, Taylor, later on in the show, when we get back from the break at the bottom of the hour, you've actually have a number of items that you are going to uh, detail to us regarding, yeah. you know, the cases. I mean, how, how does this work? Like, how do you find these objects and know that they are actually what they are? Because... In a business like this, I could see a lot of counterfeit going on. Uh, for sure. It's one of those things where it would kind of be easy for people to come in and fake items. But at the same time, the people who are dealing in um, in higher value items or anything that would have a bit of a, I guess, a, a reputation and notoriety behind it, uh, people are know, know what to look for, right? With a lot of things like um, letters, for instance, uh, you know, you do a bit of handwriting analysis, but you're not really going to get a letter that wasn't stamped by a post office. And you can then check, you know, were those post offices in that area using those kind of stamps at the time? Do the addresses line up? Do the dates line up? Um, there's a lot of things like that. Uh, oftentimes, I won't purchase an item because there's contextual clues sometimes. For instance, if I bought a collection of a thousand letters, right, or a hundred letters, uh I can kind of be assured that, you know, somebody wouldn't have taken the time to do all that work for meticulous and ridiculous work to make a few hundred dollars, as opposed to um, in a situation where somebody could maybe fake a painting or, or have an easier time with it. Those are the items that I'll really kind of dig into the history, where it came from, who it came through. Um, It's, it's a lot of it's kind of intuition and just experience in, uh, having bought a few fake items in the past and then making sure I'm not taking on any kind of risk like that in bringing anything in to, uh, to my inventory. Wow. Wow. Do you get a lot of people from the movie <clears throat> industry calling you for items as well? No, I, I've actually had a lot of people because in Vancouver, as you probably know, the film industry is pretty big. Um, I have had people suggest looking into different avenues of renting items out or have items, having items on loan. Uh, I haven't gotten into it much just because it's hard to kind of value and ensure some of this stuff. Um, and there's kind of a limited amount that they would be able to use. And I also don't have time to do basically anything aside from what I'm doing now, unfortunately. Um, I've, de- I've worked with documentary projects before with items that are being... Um, you know, unseen audio, or sorry, unheard audio, unseen photos or video, um, any kind of media or things that just have information that hasn't been documented before. 
um, whenever I find something new or something that I think might be new, I'll get in touch with people who might be able to bring that to the public eye. Um, Because there's only so much you can learn about a lot of these people, right? There's only so much new information coming out. And any time that I get a little hint at maybe finding something new, I try to make sure that, you know, I get the word out that somebody eventually puts it to good use. Right. Merle, take it away. I'm just trying to to think about, like, even, like, Taylor, the few times I've been to your house, I always get in awe of items just looking at your wall behind you of, of like, the, the different things you have. And you said you have some items you're going to show us later today that you actually just yeah. got in your collection that were, that was a bigger, I guess, buy for you or find yeah. from a collector. And what was yeah. that one? That was... um a bunch of Ted Bundy letters and documents. So uh, Ted Bundy being in this case is you know, very popular that the interest in true crime and kind of collecting these artifacts wasn't as big then. Um, and it was such a long time ago, the late eighties when he was in prison. Uh, a lot of that stuff isn't really around anymore or is hard to find uh, in the past few years. I've had maybe two or three Ted Bundy letters. Um, and I make sure that, you know, the paper lines up, the handwriting lines up, the envelopes line up. There's a lot of things I look for in the authentic authenticity. Mm-hmm. This um, collection that I found, somebody had found it at an auction. They got it locally and they said, hey, you know, it cost about this much. I'm looking to get about this much. Um, and I just kind of worked out a deal with them on it, not knowing fully what it was. But this, so this collection, I guess to, to sum it up a little bit, um, it, it's a bunch of letters that somebody had written to Ted Bundy, um, somebody that written, written to Anne Rule, who is the author of The Stranger Beside Me, and then some other people that were kind of involved in Ted Bundy's life. Uh, this person had been mailing them. He copied all of his letters and made original copies, and then he got a lot of letters back. So there's a lot of letters from Anne Rule, and there's, um, I think, three letters and one Christmas card from Ted Bundy directly. Um, and this is obviously exciting because... A, it's hard to uh, track this stuff down, obviously, and B, this is all new information. You know, aside from this one person who had these letters, um, nobody else has ever seen them. They've just been, you know, in his box or in his storage for all this time, and this is the first time they're kind of being able to be bring, brought to light, right? How do these things get released from prison, like those letters? Well, I mean, you can write anybody in prison anywhere at any time, right? If you wanted to write a letter to an inmate right now, there, there's no restrictions on if an inmate can mail you back. Um, when it comes to more high-profile cases and things like that, it's a little different. Uh, when you're collecting for somebody who, I guess, isn't around anymore or doesn't write anymore. Um, you know, Ted Bundy wasn't in prison for that long of a time. He didn't have very many good, sorry, very many pen pals, so there isn't a lot out there. People like... Charles Manson, for instance, he passed away a while ago. However, he wrote a ton of letters, right? So while he does have a lot of notoriety, there is a lot of stuff out there. Um, it's kind of just a lot of this stuff kind of comes to the market where somebody will have written an inmate and struck up a friendship for 5, 10, 15 years, um, or they knew them before prison, or they had some kind of connection and just accumulated this stuff and then eventually decide, well, somebody's interested in this, maybe I can sell this somewhere or, or do something with it. Um, yeah. And then it gets into this kind of weird market of just 
who, people who are interested in this strange stuff, people who are trying to compile new information. Um, yeah, I guess that to kind of give you a long answer on that. From a psychological standpoint, why do many people out there obsess about serial killers? It's almost like they become famous for going to prison and they're never going to get out or they get the death penalty. And yet there are people out there who absolutely worship these serial killers. Why do you think that is? Um, I mean, I think it's just, there's a lot of things from it. For me personally, it was something that I got interested in because when I was younger, I was very into uh, horror and kind of dark Gothic things like that horror films. Um, And then that evolved into, uh, you know, the more, you only get so intense with a horror movie. Then when you start looking at real life um, cases, cults and, and serial killers and stuff, you're kind of seeing, you know, actual horror things that have come to life that were, ha- have inspired, were inspired by these films sometimes, or just have some kind of dark connection to it. I think on a general um, public eye, it's just evolved like any other kind of media that becomes popular. And it's always been interesting for people, but I think, TV has kind of grown from, um, you know, it grew into reality shows and then true crime picked up a bit. And then with streaming, that seemed to hit for a lot of people. So people were making more true crime content, which got more people interested. And then people started making podcasts and there were some very huge podcasts and more people got sucked in from that. And it's become this kind of thing where there's almost this culture of people who kind of go around being like, oh, you know, my coworkers think that I'm listening to, upbeat music but i'm listening to my true crime podcast before bed to relax and all this stuff and it's this weird kind of culture of desensitization almost where people try to almost look at consuming true crime content in a way where it's um a badge of honor you know to just get all this stuff but it's just kind of generally i think something to gawk at for lack of a better word you know it's like with a you know everyone's going to slow down to see a car crash there's just those dark things or those taboo things are always going to have an interest. And um... Did you know that Dr. Elsie's cat litter helps support pets and people in need? Now through February, you can save $3 on select Dr. Elsie's cat litters and Dr. Elsie's will donate $3 to the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation. Get your free $3 coupon and learn more about their personal journey with this disease and their commitment to cure cancer at drelsies.com slash coupon. That's D-R-E- L-S-E-Y-S dot com slash coupon. Dr. Elsie's is keeping cats in loving homes with veterinarian formulated solutions like their cat attract litter that brings problem cats back to the litter box or their best-selling ultra litter made with 100% natural clay. It's great at controlling odors and low in dust and tracking without added perfumes or harsh chemicals. Visit Dr. Elsie's dot com slash podcast to see why it's the litter cats love. That's D-R-E-L-S-E-Y-S dot com slash podcast. I think the past 15 years or so, that interest has just been marketed in a way that's really blown it up. Do you well, take... You can... Go ahead, bro. I was going to say, you can go into Winners or whatever, and you'll see coffee cups where that says coffee and true crime or like wine and true crime on wine glasses. It's very normalized now, mm-hmm. all, all of the, the true crime cases, <laughs> the true crime podcasts. Asked the the four thousand hundred documentaries on Discovery Plus on Netflix and like 
me going to work. That's all people talk about in my office. Did they watch the latest Dahmer one, the Gacy tapes, the, the, the Bundy one, all of them. Like that's basically shop talk all the time. No, very true. Very true. I, I want to ask you with about two minutes to go here, Taylor, before we go to break at the bottom of the yeah. hour, you know, there, there's going, you must, or have you ever received criticism for what you do in, in, you know, selling these items, you know, I hate to say it, but profiting and making a living off of, off of, uh, you know, some very sick individuals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not as much as you would think, actually. It does happen a bit. Um, The way I look at it, you know, some of this stuff, I, it's information that nobody's seen before. I've, I've worked with documentaries and I've brought a lot of kind of new information to the public on a lot of these cases. Uh, Whereas, something and i wouldn't justify it if somebody's offended or upset i totally get it i wouldn't try to make an argument for it but i think that i'm a little easier to come at than netflix who you know their new their new Dahmer show it's retelling an old story making millions and millions of dollars and then getting away with it because it's on a different without any kind of recourse because it's on a higher level um whereas i the way i kind of think about it is that since i'm bringing new information out and preserving a lot of history and trying to look at it from an educational sense. Um, you know, I feel as though I get why people would be upset, but it's doesn't deter me from uh, doing what I, what I have an interest in and fascination with. No. And I, and, and I agree. I think you, you know, you along with anybody has the, the power to, and if you have the ability to make a, a a living off of something that you, that you love, it may not be everybody's cup of tea, but it doesn't mean that you know. Hey, I've got family members who don't agree with me uh, doing a paranormal radio show because of their Christian right. values. Okay, I mean you're not going to satisfy everybody, but as long right. as you're happy, keep it up. When we return on Spaced Out Radio's Ghost of the Great White North, when our main buddy Merle and special guest Taylor James. We are going to get into some of the objects that Taylor has collected over the years. If you're into it, hey, you could wear Jeffrey Dahmer's glasses too. As weird as that sounds. We'll be back with more Spaced Out Radio in the second half hour, coming up right after this break. All right, guys, we're clear. We have five minutes. Perfect. Awesome. And everything we say is still on YouTube. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hello, Super Duke. Don't. Hello, Chef Don't. Chemist or Chefist and Chefist's mustache. A powerful lip blade from the Chefist. 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 There you go. Sue Ashwell in Australia. Nice to see you. Stevie J, thanks for coming on in. Uh, who else is here? No, from Duke, just for you, Merle. Merle! Oh, the strong Merle. Yeah, Matrim604. Dave, I saw you on TV. It was pretty cool seeing the radio intro in the dock. Hey, thank you, Matrim. Appreciate you watching that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I don't get to do a lot of TV, and then I saw my face, and I realized that I do, in, fa- in fact, have a face for radio. 
Face for radio, Merle. That's funny. Face for radio. Face for radio. You see, I took that self-deprecating shot at myself there. That's good. Mm-hmm. I uh, <clears throat> have I've noticed a couple of questions in our chat room so far. We'll do the questions in hour number two. Huh? So, mm-hmm. Ghostly Activities, a.k.a. The Rice of Jacob. The Rice of Jacob. Thank you so much for that super chat tonight, Jake. Appreciate you, buddy. You better be coming no, down no, to he Vegas. Wants me. Uh, by the way, uh, Jake, you, you better be coming to our Vegas party. May 19th through 21st, 2023, in Las Vegas. We need to see you there. Hi, Gloria. How are you? Chairman Meow, nice to have you here. Holy cow, Matrim, thank you. That is way too kind. Thank you for that amazing super chat, my friend. Wow. There's... uh, there's uh, Jacob Rice, the Rice of Jacob. And Chris Mo from Austria. Uh, Merle wants, uh, Joe Monk wants to know, who is the dark-haired girl standing behind Merle? There isn't one. There's a, the, the, the uh, weird-looking thing that's blurry over there is a haunted doll, but there is no dark-haired girl there. Asimov, good to see Do you. you. Wanna- Hi Sandra. Do you want to see my my late my latest uh, haunted object, Dave? Hi Sandra. Uh, Let's see here. You showed me that when I was at your place. Oh yeah, you did, didn't I? Oh yeah. Remember when I pigged out on Taco Bell? (laughs) Yeah, I'm still cleaning the floor off. (laughs) Good. That was good. You made me crave it so bad. Uh huh. All right. Thank you again, Matrim. And Stephen Finnegan from the UK, thank you so much for the super chat as well. Very much appreciate you. Vegas falls right before my birthday, Katie Boonbeam Page. Yeah, we're celebrating in Vegas, Paradise City style. Mm hmm. All right, we've uh, got just over a minute, guys. Oh, by the way. Penny Van says, Merle, may I sneak behind you there and warm up at the fireplace? I will stay quiet, and I have my own blankie. All right, fire's turned on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Roger G. Davis, welcome. And... Uh, uh, Taylor, is that a Death David t-shirt, David Starr? Uh, yeah, the, the black metal band um, Death with David Koresh. The, uh, somebody I know sent me this kind of like as a promo thing a while ago. Nice. Wendy Schindler on Facebook, welcome. And uh, let's see here. 
All right, guys, we've got 22 seconds. Thank you to Thomas, Jake, Matrim, and Steven for the Super Chats tonight. Very much appreciate the love and support. It's a great way to support what we do on a nightly basis, so thank you. If you're new here, hit that thumbs up and um, ring that bell. Let us know after the show what you think. Here we go, guys, for the second half hour. Space Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for joining us. Really do appreciate it. I want to remind you that if you missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go. We are hanging out with Merle from Ghost of the Great White North and his friend Taylor James, who has a weird, very cool website called cultcollectibles.org, where he deals in paraphernalia from serial killers. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Very much appreciate you. And uh, Taylor, let's get into it right off the bat because a lot of people these days are talking about the serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer because of the Netflix yeah. series that has uh, just been on the last month or two here. You know, I mean, when you are looking for items, are you looking for the po- popularity of what's going on at that time? <clears throat> um. Not necessarily. I'm kind of always looking for everything. My kind of philosophy is to sort of try and get at least a few items from every name that's out there, every case. So if somebody's interested in in a certain cult or a certain um, a, a certain person of notoriety, uh, they're always going to have something to look at that they wouldn't have seen otherwise. Um, pretty much all the kind of things that I deal in, for the most part, you wouldn't really see anywhere else. Um, when it comes to you know, certain things causing popularity spikes. Um, you know, it happened a little while with Richard Ramirez when a series on him came out. It kind of happens whenever a new um, whenever a new documentary or show or even a, a podcast comes out about a certain case or a news coverage. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer obviously being a, a recent one. Uh, and I had kind of been dealing in a collection of items dealing to do with him for a few years before the show came out. So it kind of worked out timing wise, but um, yeah, I don't specifically look for anything. I feel like if I were to specifically look for certain names or certain stuff, uh, it would be much harder to find than just having a broad view of trying to just, uh, you know, locate anything I don't have. And then eventually I walk into things. Right now, how many items of Jeffrey Dahmer do you have? Uh, Quite a few. Uh, So, it was kind of a collection that I received um, that I'm sort of managing for people. It's not my collection uh, of a lot of stuff that he had. There was in storage stuff from his childhood stuff from his apartment and his prison cell. Um, it was pretty substantial. Uh, it's kind of hard to have a full inventory of or get a full grasp on, but um, 
yeah, I, I kind of took the project on. So it's been a ton of work, but I took it on because a lot of this stuff is new. Nobody's seen this. Nobody's ever heard this. Um, there's things that I can't really talk about right now uh, that I'm some projects I'm involved with, with kind of new information that's going to be coming out, which is going to be great. Um, so it's been a very rewarding sort of collection in regards to what I'm, you know, the main thing I'm after, which is bringing new information to the public on these cases. Merle. Well, since we're on the topic of Dahmer, do you want to show us a few of your higher valued items and explain what they are and where they're from? Yeah. Um, I've got, I think the big one here that everyone is <clears throat> kind of the news coverage has been on, which is his, um, urn that his, uh, ashes were in. That's, uh, we obviously look at this in depth when you were here at the apartment. Um, it's got the bags from when he was cremated. This is kind of the transportation urn. So, you know, you would get this if you were going to be spreading the ashes, which is what happened. It's not like one of the nice kind of ceramic ones you would display in the home. This was kind of just meant to transport the person from um, where they were to uh, wherever their final resting place would be, right? So this is that vessel. Um, and that's kind of the one that's drawn a lot of eyes over the past little while because it's a bit of a, uh, I think it's, you know, probably got the closest association to Jeff of anything else that's kind of around here. Wow. And then what's that one? <laughs> um, so this, yeah, I, mean, I, I could go forever, but this is another new thing as well. Um, so these I bought recently, and this was kind of a... Uh, residual effect from that series and, and from the popularity and then eyes coming on my site. Um, so these are two letters and I'm going to cover up the address here of the other person because they're still around. But um, so these are a couple of letters sent from Jeff in prison. Uh, they're handwritten letters. I will show one of the full ones here, kind of an example of his handwriting. Um, his so when it comes to Jeffrey Dahmer letters, you can see it signed there, Jeff at the bottom. He was only in prison for uh, about two years before he was killed. Uh, and then shortly after he went to prison, he got a typewriter. So eventually he started typing his letters. Obviously, it's a little more personal. Those are a little less sought after and valuable. Um, and then on, I guess, the market in general or in a lot of people's collections, there's only been a couple of uh, handwritten letters before. So to have somebody contact me who personally wrote to Jeff and then just had these saved forever, um, it's kind of a, a the effect that I really like from being involved in a case that gets popularity uh, for whatever reason is that some people will come out of the woodwork and say, oh, well, I have this thing. I didn't know there was some value to it. And then I'm able to, for instance, with these archive two letters um, that nobody's ever seen before. And then the one item that... Oh, sorry, Dave, go ahead. No, please, Merle, go for it. I was just going to say the one item that really intrigues me is on the the silverware stand behind you, the spoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I put that back up. Um, I'll go reach out and grab that very quickly for you. This is so creepy, Merle. So creepy. This is the one for you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this is a spoon from his um, apartment, from Jeff's uh, Oxford apartment in Milwaukee. 
Uh, he had a full, there was a full set of these. Um, and they kind of have this sort of bamboo or bone design on the stem. This is the only one that's left. This is my kind of personal one. But uh, yeah, this is I mean, one of your favorite things. One of the things that I think you, um, when you were here, were, I, I don't know if I would say impressed, in, interested in the most. Intrigued. Intrigued. Why, Carl, why were you intrigued with a spoon? Just because it's it's so personal to Jeffrey Dahmer as well as the horrific murder scene where, like, his apartment. Like, how many things are in circulation in the world of such a traumatic event? It just kind of puts things into perspective for you, for me. I got to ask you, Taylor, because this is a paranormal show. Do you get a lot of energy or a lot of the spirits coming through these items? Uh, well, that's kind of how we all got involved and I ended up being here. Um, I contacted the Vancouver Paranormal Society uh, because I, you know, I personally haven't had any kind of maybe uh, negative experiences or weird energy or, or what I would consider paranormal experiences. I haven't ever felt any of that um personally and i'm not sure if that's something that you know maybe i'm desensitized to after all this time or something that i'm just not susceptible to i've never had you know any uncomfortableness any weirdness with any of this stuff so i reached out and kind of said hey listen this is something that people ask me about a lot and i don't really have a good answer because for me i've never experienced anything but maybe you guys will and then i got then from uh the Vancouver Paranormal Society connected with the Paranormal Road Trippers. And then that has led to our sort of investigation we did here, um, which is, yeah, but basically the whole idea was I haven't felt anything. I don't um, have any kind of energy or connection to these items in that way, but maybe somebody who doesn't, you know, live, live with this stuff 24 seven would, would have more of a perspective like that. Tell them about the Bible. The bot. Oh yeah. So, well, so I, okay. I, I lied when I said that I have not had any kind of experiences. I should say up until recently, nothing strange has been the case. Um, so a few, the first time that, uh, Merle came by, we recorded a few little introductory videos and talked for a while and had some items on, on one of the shelves I have here in the office and, uh, Bible that I had that belonged to Jeff that was in his prison cell. Um, it fell over on the shelf when we were talking, when we were recording, which, um, you know, things fall over. It's not a big deal. Uh, a couple of weeks later, though, I had somebody else here who I was filming with, a friend of mine who's a YouTuber. Um, and we were hanging out in the office for a few hours talking, kind of figuring stuff out. Um, had everything all set up. Uh, then, you know, two or three minutes after we started recording, the same... Bible fell over in the same spot, um, which, you know, had been untouched all afternoon, uh, just as soon as we were, you know, recording, basically. So that was, I know it's not that exciting of a story, but that for me was the first kind of connect, personal connection of, okay, something might be happening here. And then, yeah, here we are looking into it more. Does it freak you out? No, um, it's not something that I'm... Uh, 
too bothered by it when we did the investigation. It was definitely a lot of interesting energies going on, a lot of heaviness. Um, but, you know, and then I got into bed and went to bed and didn't have any issues. Um, yeah, it's just something that I, it's not something that I am, I wouldn't say I'm skeptic or, or a non-believer in any way. It's just something that I personally haven't had any um, firsthand experience with. So I'm looking to see if other people can get that, you know, from, you know, maybe I'll get freaked out once I can see that from somebody else's perspective, but yeah. No, I could definitely, I could definitely see that uh, from that. The fact that people are so invested in learning about these, how much do you have to know about each and every one that you deal with? Like every serial um, killer, how much knowledge do you have to have? Uh, it kind of depends how deep I'm going to go with it. Um, you know, if I find a collection of items or I find a case that's interesting or, or even, you know, somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, um, I'm looking to get something. Did you know that Dr. Elsie's cat litter helps support pets and people in need? Now through February, you can save $3 on select Dr. Elsie's cat litters and Dr. Elsie's will donate $3 to the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation. Get your free $3 coupon and learn more about their personal journey with this disease and their commitment to cure cancer at drelsies.com slash coupon. That's D-R-E-L-S-E-Y-S dot com slash coupon. Dr. Elsie's is keeping cats in loving homes with veterinarian formulated solutions. Like their Cat Attract Litter that brings problem cats back to the litter box. Or their best-selling Ultra Litter made with 100% natural clay. It's great at controlling odors and low in dust and tracking without added perfumes or harsh chemicals. Visit DrElsie's.com slash podcast to see why it's the litter cats love. That's D-R-E-L-S-E-Y-S dot com slash podcast. From this name or that name, um, I'll do some research when I get really, really into a tangent about things, for instance, somebody um, like a very notorious case, a very large case, I'm going to assume, you know, if it happened 25 years ago, everybody's picked through and found everything they can. So in a case like that, where I'm looking up a big name, where I really want to do research, um, Ted Bundy, for instance, is an example of one of those big cases where I would have assumed everything was sold. Uh, I'm going to look through every uh, book that I can for any kind of name, look for family members of those people, look of, you know, for instance, uh, uh, somebody who interviewed Ted Bundy and had recordings of it. Maybe they're not uh, in the public eye anymore, but maybe they have uh, family members who are, you know, public figure in some way, and they might have all those recordings sitting somewhere in a box and nobody's heard them, right? Um, or I'll watch documentaries and look for certain people who are interviewed and kind of see what their connection to a case is. Um, I mean, I'm not going around harassing people by any means, but uh, I do a lot of research and kind of kind of journalism groundwork to track down uh, these physical items or information on leads towards these physical items. There are things out there. It's just finding them isn't just, you know, a matter of going on eBay or, or getting lucky at a, a, you know, at a state sale or something like that. No, I, I can totally understand that. Merle. Taylor, what was your first object or first item you had ever purchased with this collection? What got you into it? Um, well, it was, it was an accident. I think I told you a little bit how that started. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 
had gotten really into the People's Temple, the Jonestown case, um, and I had bought a lot of uh, you know magazines and books and 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 documentaries, things like that. Uh, at a certain point, there wasn't really anything else to collect, so I was looking for you know vintage newspapers. I was looking for anything I could get to kind of build a little collection of these items that I really wanted to learn from. And then it sort of turned into, well, at a certain point, I had to dig deeper. You know, I figured if the People's Temple were around for 20, 10, 20, 30 years for the Jonestown incident, they must have documentation. They must have newsletters. They must have pamphlets or something. Um, so I started digging into that and getting items with more of a connection. But the thing that sort of turned it into a store, as well as just a, a hobby, was um, I had some O.J. Simpson pogs, the... Um, you know, from the '90s, the Pogs game with the Slammers. Um, they, there were a lot of novelty O.J. Simpson sets made. Uh, I had one of those on eBay. I got it at a flea market and had it on there because it was just a you know neat little collectible. I dealt in collectible items, uh, and it got flagged and taken down. And I they shut my account down for a week. I couldn't sell anything for a week, which is I went into panic mode because that was my full time job. So that was sort of like okay, well if I want to do anything with this kind of weird uh, true crime stuff, I'm going to have to do a different platform. I'm going to have to do an independent platform. Um, and that's why I figured, you know, it would be a smaller thing, a little side thing, because it would be independent. I wouldn't have all the eyes that eBay had. But it, I think, you know, it's, it's big enough of a niche where not a ton of people collect this stuff, but if they're going to go after it, they're going to, they're going to end up finding me eventually. I want to ask you in regards to your your business before we move on to other mm-hmm. items that you have for show. You know, how many phone calls or emails do you take a day for people searching for this? And what kind of people are looking for these items? Um, so, I mean, when it comes to people contacting me, uh, I get 10 to 15 emails a day. Um, a lot of that is asking about things that are already on the site. Uh, a handful are people trying to sell things. A handful are people looking for specific kinds of items or, you know, they watched a documentary and heard about this specific thing. You know, maybe they saw a documentary and they saw, oh, uh, John Wayne Gacy did paintings. So they'll say, hey, I'm interested in these paintings. Do you know where they are or if they still exist? Um, and I, I kind of have a lot of, it's not a very standard work day. It's a lot of, uh, I, do, I do a lot of podcast stuff. I do a lot of calls to people um, for, I guess, research or leads to try and look for more items or people they might know who have items or to broker deals about licensing stuff for documentaries, licensing media or home movies. Um, When it comes to the people, though, that are buying the stuff, the people contacting me for collections, uh, it's sort of all over the map. It's a lot of people who are just kind of interested in true crime, I think, you know, from kind of the podcasts and documentaries and stuff and reading these paperbacks that have been huge sellers forever. Um, and they just want to, you know, get a, get a neat little thing or two for their place or get somebody a gift because their friends are interested in true crime stuff. Uh, then you go step up a little bit to people who are kind of, I guess, active true crime collectors who a lot of people want to get every single item from a certain name or some people will want to get one item from every big true crime case. Um, And it tends to be, um, I get, you know, I guess it kind of falls into the horror crowd, the more Gothic crowd, people who are into, um, you know, the weird and macabre more than anything else or oddities. Um, 
but then kind of the third category, I get a lot of professional people um, in the celebrity world or uh, kind of high-end professions who are, um, you know, I just, just avid collectors of pop culture stuff, you know, there's people, and I, I haven't personally dealt with these people, but there's celebrities like um, John Waters has had a bunch of John Wayne Gacy paintings and a bunch of Charles Manson stuff. Um, Johnny Depp had a bunch of John Wayne Gacy paintings. Uh, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. Um, Jonathan Davis from Corn. Uh, there's a big handful of, of these people out there who are, um, uh, you know, money's not an option and they're just thinking, hey, I want to find this item and I will sometimes kind of be a middleman for, well, let me try and track it down for you or see what I can do because, you know, it's you got to have some weird connections to find a lot of this stuff. Do you have a lot of famous clients, that being said, who are searching uh, for this? Uh, yeah, a handful. I, I get contacted now and then. Um, a lot of the time it doesn't, connect, that you know, a deal won't go through because it's a very specific thing or a very high value thing somebody's looking for. Um, I guess there's some people that look at a lot of this stuff as an investment. So they're like you had mentioned earlier, kind of looking at it from an art dealing perspective. Right. Um, but there are a handful of people who I have dealt with or do deal with on a regular basis. Um, not names that I can list because all, obviously this is a bit of a touchy, uh, uh, job. So, you know, anybody that I deal with in any regard is a hundred percent private. Um, whether that's, you know, somebody who's a, just a, you know, 20 year old weirdo kid who's just interested in this stuff and wants to get a little collectible or, you know, the, the biggest celebrity out there. It's all very, um, almost anonymous to an extent, you know? And that's fair. That's fair. I mean, mm. privacy is a, a big factor in anything that we do. And I think, yeah. I think that's absolutely fine. We got three minutes to go before we're going to go to break here at the, top of the hour merle is here for ghost of the great white north with our special guest taylor james from the website cultcollectibles.com you mentioned jim jones in jonestown i mean this Mm. is this is where the saying don't drink the kool-aid comes into play you know Mm. uh, you know why is this one of your favorite cases in collectibles uh well it's something that i there are two perspectives. The first one being that I was just fascinated at, you know, kind of the, my perspective from the outside before I knew much about it was that this person convinced, you know, 900 people to uh, bring themselves to suicide, which wasn't really how things went down, but that was kind of my understanding from an outside perspective. Um, I was just fascinated that somebody could have that kind of influence on people. Uh, and then on the other hand of that, it was almost a treasure hunt because it happened so long ago, way before I was born um and and you know it was in guyana so far away and then all their other dealings were in california or different places around the united states so finding anything that i could have get a connection to them a physical connection to them was a treasure hunt you know i had to deal with contacting um you know local bookstores in certain areas or antique dealers and antique malls um just just, you know i'd spend days and days and days and come up with nothing sometimes but uh yeah i like the thrill of the hunt for that kind of stuff I can understand that. Merle? You have a Jim Jones uh, yearbook. That, uh, yeah, the yearbook. Be I can show it off quickly. This um, I had one of these, and I went to a museum. And then recently, somebody contacted me and said, hey, I've got this. Um, I've got this yearbook, if you're interested in it. Um, 
it's pretty beat up, but you could just have it, which I thought was great because I, you know, I unfortunately sold the other one. But here is, um, you can see this one here with a little note saying Jonestown Guyana is, um, well, there we go. Jim Jones in 1949, a not often seen photo of him. This is obviously, you know, falling apart. It's a very old book, but, um, yeah, like having a direct connection like this, like this was in the school where he was as well. I, I just think it's fascinating. Is there anything that you will not deal in when it comes to serial killers? Um, not really. Uh, no, nothing has come up, at least that I've been like, no, I won't deal in that. There's a lot of things that, um, you know, there. I do have a limit. There would be certain things that I would find distasteful, but it hasn't really none of those opportunities have really come to me. Um, I just kind of, I think that if I start putting restrictions on, well, I don't want to cover these kind of cases or those kind of cases, then it just limits so many things um, that I sort of, I sort of have to have no filter on what cases I'm going to work with just for the sake of having, you know, the most variety out there because somebody at some point is going to want information on one of these guys. So, very true. Merle from the Paranormal Road Trippers. A very intriguing ghost of the Great White North, which continues for another hour here on Spaced Out Radio with special guest Taylor James from the website cultcollectibles.org. More talk on true crime and serial killers when we return on Spaced Out Radio. There we go. Perfect. I'm just going to get some water while we're off here for a second. No problem. <clears throat> I'll be right back too, Dave. Little oh, I'll just too. cut back from Dan. Me too. I'll be right back three.
I'm back. Now we wait for Dave. Perfect. I'm literally so busy today, I'm taking this little five-minute pause to catch up on some work. It has been nonstop. I could only imagine. You are busy, busy. It's, it's... Do you have any new items coming in? Yes. Um, always. I, I actually, this month... Um, spent more than I ever have on new inventory. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to, you know, uh, still pay my rent. But yeah, I, I just I, I think I've had a lot of eyes on my site recently, and this month has been a lot of new things that have come in. Um, I'll definitely Website have a whole looking good too, nice and stacked. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a whole new slew of stuff for you to see next time we uh. I mean, person. Awesome. Merle, 26 years ago tonight, greatest hockey fight ever between two goalies. Remember it? Are we talking the Patrick Wild one? Nope. Nope. Felix Potvin and Ron Hextall. Oh, I remember that one. Oh, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Twenty six <laughs> years ago tonight. Oh, that was a great brawl. I remember talking to Felix about that. <laughs> well, I liked Felix Botvin. I did too. He was a good guy. Good guy. How about those Canucks now, Dave? Oh, don't even talk to me. Don't even talk to me. Hi, Magnus <laughs> Ver Magnuson and Chris. Good to see you. Oh, hey, Clam. And uh, thank you to Stephen, Matrim, Jake, and Thomas for the super chats tonight. Very much appreciated. It's a great way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. And uh, get your shopping done at spacedoutradio.com for our great swag that we have. Here we go, everyone. Hour number two coming right now. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. 
My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for tuning us on in wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, talk stream live at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Obfuscate. Obfuscate is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you, including rocking out to Bumblefoot, reading Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Serial killers is the topic tonight on Ghosts of the Great White North as we take a break from the paranormal with our main man, Merle, from the Paranormal Road Trippers, and our special guest tonight, Taylor James, from the website cultcollectibles.org. And, man, this has been a creepy show. It's different from what we normally do. Some of you may like it. Some of you may not. But that's okay. At least we're not talking UFOs tonight. Gives old Davey the break. That's the main thing. Gentlemen, welcome back to SOR. Thank you, Merle. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, thank you. I want to lead in with an audience question. <clears throat> Taylor, do you have any items from Robert Bardella? Uh, Bob Bardella. Robert Bardella. I have had a couple of little handwritten notes. Um, nothing too exciting. His case, is, it's one of those ones where it's interesting that his case isn't more um, covered. Very intense. Uh, a lot of victims. Uh, the Kansas City Butcher was his moniker. Um, and he ran like a, a, a pawn shop or a little flea market booth called Boz Bazaar Bazaar, where he kind of sold oddities. There is a collector out there who bought out the entire estate years ago, and then he's kind of sold pieces of that collection away to other people. So um, there's a site called Dark Memorabilia, where the person who runs that site has a lot of Bobardella items. He has a lot of power tools from his house. He has a lot of pictures that he took um uh some original shirts from the the bob's bizarre bizarre flea market booth um i don't really have anything kind of because a there's somebody else out there who's covered the case pretty thoroughly and uh uh b i just you know haven't really had anything come up in my uh hunting all right let's get to a couple more audience questions here for you taylor taylor are any of your tattoos protection sigils or related symbolism um no they're all just kind of stupid uh and impulsive honestly like i uh... dr elsie's is keeping cats in loving homes with veterinarian formulated solutions like their cat attract litter that brings problem cats back to the litter box or their best-selling ultra litter made with 100 natural clay it's great at controlling odors and low in dust and tracking without added perfumes or harsh chemicals. Visit DrElsie's.com slash podcast to see why it's the litter cats love. That's D-R-E-L-S-E-Y-S dot com slash podcast. Hey, the balance in my free checking account earns more than options like CDs. And without tying up my money. Keesler Federal Credit Union. 
helping our members live extraordinary. Um, I, I'm pretty heavily tattooed. All the face stuff has sort of been the past four, five years or so, just because I've always, I think it was kind of me forcing myself to be like, well, I'm not going to get a real job now. I got to stick with this stuff. Um, the uh, away team specifically is kind of a double entendre of uh, Heaven's Gate. It was kind of on their, it was on their patches of their exit uniforms, as they called them, and Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, so I've been a diehard Next Gen fan forever. Um, but yeah, on, honestly, I think after a certain, because I've been getting tattooed for 20 years or so, after a certain point, it all kind of just becomes something to do, you know, more than anything else. There isn't really anything heavy behind it. Sorry, it's not that exciting of an answer, but. Hey, it's a good answer. It's an honest answer. Joe is asking, do people that collect serial killer stuff ever become serial killers? <clears throat> uh, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, I think that something that people kind of assume sometimes that I would be a pretty evil guy or a sketchy guy or something. But, uh, I mean, for somebody who kind of operates on this level, I think I would be a pretty big target for any kind of investigation. You know, I think that um, it definitely, I, I mean, not that I, I, I wouldn't want to kill anybody for moral reasons as well. Like it's just something that I would not have any interest in. However, if that was, you know, I don't think that anybody would be this active with this kind of stuff as a public figure, uh, uh, buying and selling and trading the things. If they, um, uh, you know, they were trying to hide anything in their lives. All right, let's go to another question here from our audience. This one from Midwest Night Watchers. Has there ever been any weird activities, or we asked ask that question right before the break, yeah. that you're, you're just starting to get weird activity and maybe some paranormal stuff happening. Are you surprised that it hasn't happened more than what's just occurring now? Uh, I'm not necessarily surprised by it. Um, I think it's just been a maybe a desensitization thing after like so many years of sort of being around this sort of stuff. I don't really get any kind of heaviness from it. Um, but I definitely think it sort of would make sense if now that I'm actively trying to look into that and make an effort to um, sense that a little more, that it would uh, become more, uh, you know, I would be noticing more things just in the fact that I'm paying more attention to it. I'm going to throw one out there before we get to another question. Vancouver right. is known for its serial killers. In, in fact, the entire West Coast, Washington State, yeah. uh, British Columbia, Oregon, and California. <clears throat> you know, being a, a BC guy here with a Canadian show, do you have items from the Picton Farm? Or do you have items from Clifford Olson or, or anybody who is, is uh, fanatical like either one of those two? Uh, yeah, I mean, even just talking about Canada in general, we're not really known for true crime stuff. Like you said, there's Clifford Olson, Robert Picton, uh, you know, uh, Paul and Carla Homolka. Um, there isn't really much else for big names there. Um, I've had things come and go in the past. Uh, I think I've got a letter from Clifford Olson right now. Uh, I had a letter from Robert Picton. They're not things that I specifically look for too much just because it, it, it hits a little close to home, I guess, you know. I um. I just I'm so familiar with those cases growing up around here that I just don't actively try and um, dig into them too much. But yeah, definitely, especially what you said about the the 
West Coast, I spend a lot of time in, in California and Washington State as well. And all the way down from here to there, we had, you know, Ted Bundy was active, uh, Ken Bianchi, Herbert Mullen. Uh, there was um, Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, uh, and so many other smaller cases up and down this whole coast. It's almost like something in the water around here, you know? Yeah, it's amazing how the West Coast has bred so many serial killers. I mean, the Green mm-hmm. River Killer, the Night Stalker, the, you know, uh, Willie Pickton, Ted Bundy, who you've uh, just uh, accumulated a number of letters from. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. let's talk about Ted Bundy. I mean, this is a man who murdered mm-hmm. over 30 women, uh, <clears throat> mostly college women. That he preyed on uh, back in the in the seventies and eighties, he was uh, considered a very handsome man and very smooth. Uh-huh. And you know, a lot of times he he faked injury in order to lure his victims around. I mean, I mean, this guy was just uh, he had a game plan that worked. But I mean, until he screwed up with uh, you know somebody getting the license plate of his <clears throat> car. But I mean, uh-huh. you know. You look at somebody like Ted Bundy. What is what is what does somebody that sick have to offer? Uh, do you mean in regards to like learning about him, or in regards to tangible items, collecting Ta- stuff? Tangible items and collecting, yes. Yeah, um, there isn't a ton out there. He's one of those cases that um, his case was very big before, uh, kind of maybe right before I think people got such a fascination with true crime. Obviously, people always have had an interest, but people who were writing and collecting stuff and and um, had the foresight of like, oh, I should preserve these things, weren't looking that far ahead. Um, so all the things that have been archived, all the things that people have kind of collected over the years have been from, uh, you know, correspondence with, um, for instance, a, a journalist who was speaking to him, uh, writing letters back and forth or somebody working on a book um, or personal family members of his. Um, there aren't too many you don't find too many troves it's not like every single person has a letter um so when i have found bundy items the um i made two purchases recently of bundy stuff um the first one was a collection of three letters from one specific pen pal um this was somebody's mother had written to him and this was like a friend uh who knew them trying to sell them on the mother's mother's behalf uh and that i'm sure that happened a ton where somebody uh, you know, wrote letters to him, read them, threw them out, didn't think to save it, put it in an attic or whatever, and it got lost. So a ton of those have gone missing since then. The other ones that I got, the collection of four or five letters, was somebody who was um, fascinated with the case and almost seemed like he was trying to write a book and get uh, some information from Bunny that nobody else had. Uh, that collection is significant because it's got the letters that were mailed to him as well as the letters he mailed out. So I get to kind of read the dialogue between um, Bundy and the person who was trying to get in touch with him. Wow. Wow. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what do the letters say? Like describe what, what what's in there for content. Um, I can read one out. So it's a lot of them aren't super interesting and the interesting ones are long. Um, the, these ones specifically um, are very, and I guess the most foreboding thing in this first short letter is just, he ends it with watch yourself, peace, Ted. Um, 
these ones are interesting because, and the most interesting one here, it's like 10 pages long, double-sided. Um, he's speaking to somebody who was also from the Pacific Northwest. So they talked about uh, the person who had mailed him said, hey, I went to Was- to Western University or, or Washington University, whatever it was. And I went into the record rooms and found um, employment slips with your name hand signed on them. It's like, I have these slips now. I was just doing research into the case. Those slips are also part of this collection. Um, and then Ted talks about like, oh, that's very interesting that you found those. You know, I wouldn't think they would still be there. Um, he, he was kind of one of those, he was a closed off guy. He, you know, when it comes to writing to anybody, I guess, any inmate, most people are pretty reserved in talking about the crimes or their case or anything that, that anything that could implicate them in any trouble. So um, it isn't really dark, heavy content, but it's a lot of personal stuff you wouldn't really see anywhere else, you know, talking about friendships or connections he had or day-to-day life in prison. Hmm. Right. Let's get to another couple questions from our audience here. Mm-hmm. Let's go over to the UK. Stephen is asking, Taylor, do you have anything from English serial <clears throat> killers? Yeah, um, not as much. It's, it's you know, it, I think a little harder to import stuff um, just in regards to uh, tracking people down and finding stuff. Um, I've had a handful of Dennis Nilsson letters who he was uh, kind of the UK's Jeffrey Dahmer almost, very similar parallels in that case. Um, I've had some items from uh, Charles Bronson, the, you know, the most, um, the UK's most dangerous inmate, they call him. Very interesting guy. He's an artist uh, in prison now. Uh, Fred and Rosemary West. I've had a few things over the years. Not too many. I think I think it's just a matter of things getting from the UK to here. Um, I've had a handful of items from Ian Brady. Um, I had a book signed by Myra Hindley, who was Ian Brady's accomplice. Uh, and her stuff is very hard to find. Um, and then Peter Sutcliffe, who died pretty recently, the New Yorkshire Ripper, I had a few letters from him. But those cases are all, they're sort of almost a bit high, more high profile. They're harder to find. It's not as common. And uh, making connections and finding contacts in the UK to get those things here is a bit uh, is a bit tougher than somebody in the States or Canada. Yeah, I, I can see that. Have you, What's your favorite part of the collection that you have had to this date? Uh, it's, it's kind of weird because as, as soon as I feel like I get one thing that I really like, I find something else and I, uh, uh, or an item from a certain case where I'm like, I'm never going to find anything so cool from this case. I get something else. Um, <clears throat> one of the most interesting for me, that was one of the first, the biggest deals I did early on. And one that I put a lot of work into a lot of groundwork research is I got a, um, collection of items from a former Heaven's Gate member who um, is a member of Heaven's Gate. And then he ended up not participating in the suicides, but taking his life a year later separately. But in that year in between, he did kind of promotional work for Heaven's Gate. He was um, selling books and t-shirts and mouse pads. He had a mail order business um, and he had some mugs and he had CD-ROM sets. And these CD-ROMs have kind of been, I guess lost media for a long time because nobody really knew what happened with the stuff, but eventually it came, became public or, or I guess through the means that I've been using for stuff, I was able to buy the inventory of his site. Um, so not only was it a large purchase, but it was, uh, you know, something that 
this member ex member of Heaven's Gate made himself. It, it had a lot of unique content on it that nobody had seen before. Um, it was, I guess, most of the most most of the things in my collection that I'm the most interested in or proud of or, or enjoy the most are things that were sort of milestones in this as a hobby and a job. You know, like a, a crazy thing that I found where I did a ton of work and put a ton of effort into it. So it might not be the most exciting or, or creepy thing, but it's something that I put the most work into. Is there a serial killer out there that you haven't collected from yet that you would love to get your hands on, whether it's somebody like H.H. Holmes going way back to to the 1800s or maybe Jack the Ripper or someone along those lines? Um, yeah, I mean, H.H. H. Holmes obviously is a big one. Uh, Ed Gein is a huge one. Um, they're people who I've never really seen items from that um, I've never seen many things out there. And the things that I have seen, it's not to say that they aren't authentic, but it, it's hard to back up their story with authenticity. Um, Lizzie Borden is one that is such an infamous case. Um, there isn't really anything out there. I, I, when you get to a certain point in time, it kind of becomes um, historical artifacts more than true crime artifacts. So it's a whole other, <clears throat> sorry, it's a whole different world of collecting. Um, I know somebody who has a document that was signed by Lizzie Borden's father, um, wow. which is the closest I've seen to that case. But yeah, any of those really, really long ago things, the uh, the kind of best bet for collecting is to sort of get um, the old newspapers or magazines published about them or paperbacks, you know, um, Albert Fish, another one, kind of one of the big ones from back then is yeah, yeah most of the things you're going to find are going to be um, like vintage newspapers or books written on the case, um, things like that, not direct items. But are there items out there from, I mean, Jack the Ripper was never solved, but are there items out there yeah. from him or H.H. H. Holmes? Yeah, there definitely is stuff. Um, a lot of that stuff ends up in museums. I don't know what specific museums might have certain things, but you got to think about in the investigation for one of these cases, you know, uh, the police would have been compiling evidence. The complete police would have been um, uh, documenting a lot of things. So even like the documents used in an investigation, paperwork they had, um, you know, prison paperwork for when H.H. Holmes was in prison, uh, all those things, or, or egging psychiatric paperwork when he was in a psych ward. Um, that stuff does exist and it is out there. It's just a matter of finding it and... Well, it's a matter of A, if it still exists, if it wasn't destroyed or thrown out, and then B, getting it out of whatever kind of um, place it is. You know, it could be stored away forever and no one's going to know about it. Um, it almost becomes more of an antiquity hunter job at that point because you really got to have a lot of connections and a lot of money to be able to dig into those sort of items. I definitely hear you there. A couple more yeah. questions from our audience. Uh, let's sure. go, let's go to Lara here. What's the creepiest item you've ever seen or been offered? Um, it's sort of sort of hard to quantify as well because I, you know, at a, at a certain point, um, how how can you get creepier? You know, I've kind of seen it all and done it all at this point and this kind of stuff. The first one that I got where I received it and it was a creepy 
feeling. It was like the first time I had something significant where I was like, oh, this is a heavy piece, um, was my John Wayne Gacy um, Patches of the Clown painting. Uh, because so his Patches and Pogo the Clowns are kind of one of the big um, public murder bilia or I guess true crime artifact items out there. The two things that I always kind of looked at as iconic pieces for tangible true crime things were John Wayne Gacy's clown paintings and the um, the Life magazine with Charles Manson's face on the cover. I always sort of associated those things with, you know, tangible true crime uh, uh, collectibles. And get, so getting one of those paintings was almost surreal because it's something I, I knew about, something with so much notoriety. And when I started collecting little, you know, $10, $20 items here and there, at first, I didn't expect to be at the level where I would be getting, you know, stuff that Gacy painted himself in prison. Yeah. Man. All right. Let's go to Midwest Night Watchers here. Is there an object that is highly sought after or would be the prize of anyone's collection? Yeah, there's a lot of things that people consider holy grails, you know. Um, for a lot of people, it's a Pogo the Clown painting from John Wayne Gacy. Um, for people who are more at it, like at, there's some places, museums, for instance, not private collections, public collections. There's a museum in um, Tennessee, I believe, that has Ted Bundy's Beetle. Um, any of those big items like that. Um, the Unabomber's entire cabin is on display in a museum in the state somewhere. They literally lifted the cabin out and put the cabin into a museum. Um, there's a lot of those uh, those kind of Holy Grail items are things that are just absolutely priceless and you wouldn't be able to put a value on it. You wouldn't be able to ever obtain it. Um, when it comes to things people can get themselves, I think it's, it, it depends on the individual, right? Some people have really high aspirations for wanting to have a very valuable piece. Some people are just really interested in a specific case. So even a small item is going to be their kind of Holy grail for their collection. Brown dwarf wants to know, do you have any items that have been used by multiple Serial killers, or are they out there? Um, sort of in a way, there are things like that. I have seen a lot of people who have sold um, um, artwork that they had sent off to a few different inmates, or or let's say a couple of inmates were in prison together um, and did artwork together. You know, um, a lot of people cross paths in prison. Uh, uh, like a lot of notorious names have been in the same prison at the same time. Um, so there's been a few items that would have been signed by both or people who, you know, wrote to one person and then forwarded that letter to somebody else and then got it back. Um, so it was, yeah, there's things like that. But when it comes to like, um, I guess use the multiple killers would be like somebody had something in their apartment and then somebody else ended up buying it who was collecting. And then they also committed crimes, uh, which I'd never heard of anything, any case happening like that. Gentlemen, I'm going to get you to hold on right there because we are mm-hmm. going to go to break here at the bottom of the hour. We got Ghost of the Great White North with our main man, Merle, from the Paranormal Road Trippers, hanging out with us from Vancouver, British Columbia, and our special guest tonight talking all things serial killers. Yeah, it's a little bit strange from what we're normally doing, talking ghosts, UFOs, cryptids like Bigfoot. Not tonight. Taylor James is with us. His website, cultcollectibles.com, pardon cultcollectibles.org. We'll be back with more Spaced Out Radio when we return. 
right, gents, we are clear. Cool. Fun that times. half hour flew. I didn't even realize. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is the um the longest I've gone without swearing in twenty five years. <laughs> Trust me, but dude, it's good. hard for me. It is hard yeah, for I'm doing me. Good. <clears throat> Dave, you should see his John Wayne Gacy painting, his original. Signed on the back by Gacy. It's it's surreal to see. I'll go. Oh, it's a bit far there, but weird. Very weird. Very weird. How you doing, Merle? Doing fantastic. It's a good show. That's actually really going fast. Anybody out there in Radio Land want to send Merle a kitchen table? So we can eat Taco Bell on it. Please let him know at one eight hundred Merle. Merle. Where do you want to take it for the last half hour, Taylor? Me? It's not my show. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We <clears throat> can talk Heaven's Gate a bit. I mean, uh, sure. Heaven's Gate was I have a couple the a couple of the books from the mansion, right? Um Heaven's Gate has a big association with radio shows because the the Hail Bop, the comet Hail Bop, right? They um thought there was a craft behind it following the comet. Um and they thought, well that's the craft that we need to board. We need to take our lives to get on there. <clears throat> the reason they thought that though was because somebody had called into the Art Bell show um, that was his name, right? Art Bell. With the rewards from my free Keesler Federal checking account, it's like I'm getting paid to dine out. Did I mention it's free? Keesler Federal Credit Union. Helping our members live extraordinary. Feeling stuck when it comes to writing? Jasper is an AI writing assistant that helps you break through writer's block, create blogs, social content, add variations, really anything you can imagine, much faster than you would on your own. With Jasper's text-to-image generator, you can even create original art. Convey your best ideas better and faster with Jasper. No more blank pages or unfinished pieces. Try Jasper for free at jasper.ai today. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get mm-hmm. into this when we get back. Perfect. Yeah, I figured it was a it was a uh, good relatable story. Oh yeah, yeah, that one's power. That's gonna be fun, man. Oh yeah, I know a little bit about that one. Hmm. And what was his name? Is Brad Steger? Brad Sturger? Is that his name? Steiger. Steiger? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I got a really cool thing to show here. This is a great time. It's so different (laughs) than what we're doing. Dude, this is very relaxing for me. That's good. I knew you'd like them for this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I already had one listener say, this is not what I signed up for for Spaced Out Radio. I'm unsubbing. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. One of our listeners types in, Scrub It Up Dub types in right after. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. 
Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> Can't please them all. No, definitely not. I know very well. <clears throat> I know that very well. Oh, yeah. You cannot <sighs> please them all. What do you do? What do you do? It's like, what what, do it's, you like, do? it's like, what am I supposed to do? Just say, hey, Taylor, one of my listeners in the chat room doesn't like you <clears throat> or what you do, mm-hmm. so we're going to... I know we're only like 19 minutes into the interview, but we're going to cut you off here. Yeah, and I, I'll uh, foreclose the business as well. Yeah. Sell all my assets and. You get a real stop job. what you're doing. Stop it. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Grandizer says I'd threaten to unsub if Dave's beard grew out of control. It already is. It already is starting. The winter beard is starting. Wait, give me a month or two. Give me a month or two. I'm going to be looking like Santa Claus here. I'm going to trim. Are you going to go full Santa Claus? No, I'm trimming it next week when I get my hair cut. I have a very cute hairstylist here. She's the only one who can touch my hair and my face. <laughs> I'll get myself all dolled up. Thank you, Stephen, Thomas, Jake, and Matrim for the amazing Super Chats tonight. Very much appreciate your love and support of Spaced Out Radio. Thank you very much. Uh, You can do some shopping at spacedoutradio.com. Grab yourself some swag right before Christmas. And, of course, hang on out with us. Hit subscribe. Ring that bell. We are here seven days a week. Here we go, everyone. Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. Want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go. Final half hour of Paranormal's uh, Ghost of the Great White North with Merle from the Paranormal Road Trippers and our special guest tonight, Taylor James, who has a website called cultcollectibles.org. So if you're into serial killers and some of their items that they used to hold <coughs> on to, you can definitely, definitely head to that site and check it on out. Gentlemen, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. We're going to get into Heaven's Gate. This was a cult uh-huh. out of California who believed that there was a UFO that was following the Hale-Bopp comment about 20-some years ago. 
And this one took a real weird turn because their prophet believed that on that UFO, they would all reunite and take off into the universe and live forever. It was uh, one of those scary things. It was also something that is, you know, was blamed on late night radio legend Art Bell for promoting the Halebot Comet and everything. I mean, Taylor, tell us a little bit about this story, what you got from it. <clears throat> yes, well, I have a little piece that I thought would be um, kind of connect all these things together, the paranormal and UFO stuff, the radio show stuff, and the true crime stuff. Um, so what, what kind of happened uh, in that case is that they were pretty active listeners of the show, of uh, Art Bell's show. And somebody had called in at one point and said, you know, I'm an amateur um, astronomer. I've been tracking the Halo Comet. And I, there's something behind it. There's something trailing it. There's some kind of craft there. And then uh, the members of Heaven's Gate <clears throat> heard that broadcast and thought, you know, this, I think this is kind of our sign. Um, they were, Heaven's Gate were around since the very late 70s, not called Heaven's Gate at the time. Um just known as the two or the UFO two or Bo and peep uh, T and doe. Uh, and they were just kind of this group of, of they were sort of traveling these two uh, people, Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie, L- Bonnie Lou Nettles were just traveling the U S uh, all of North America for that matter, kind of spreading their gospel, getting their story out, thinking that they were the, um, the two as, as um, they were the two from the Bible who were, there to help save everybody. Um, they got obviously involved in a lot of um, new age beliefs, a lot of, a lot of uh, alien and UFO beliefs. Um, the name heaven's gate ended up coming up in 1996, 1997 when they made their website and they made that at kind of the tail end of their journey. And they were saying, Hey, we're making this to let everyone know what we're doing. You know, we're going to be ascending to the next level. Um, but I've got a piece here that kind of ties all that stuff together that I wanted to show off. Um, so this is a book called UFO Missionaries Extraordinary, uh, which is a bit of a mouthful to say. Uh, it was compiled, edited, and with comments by Hayden Hughes and Brad Steiger. Steiger, I think, right, is the pronunciation? Yes. Um, so this is a book from the 80s, from the early 80s, that is pretty much a long-form interview with... Um, as are known in here, Bo and Peep, but Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Lou Nettles. Hmm. Uh, they were the two leaders of Heaven's Gate. Um, Bonnie Lou Nettles, who passed away uh, in the early 90s, I believe, leaving Marshall Applewhite to kind of be the, the face of the group for the end of things. Um, they sort of had a whole different belief system, a whole different kind of idea of what they were going to be doing until she passed away. And then when Marshall Applewhite took over, when things got a bit strange, it led to the suicides. Um, this book is special being that it's, you know, it's an interview with Heaven's Gate before Heaven's Gate, before the name, but this specific copy was their, um, personal copy that they had in their mansion. So you can see in the second page here, I don't know how clearly you can see it because it's kind of embossed, indented in the book. Uh, but there's a seal here saying certified authentic estate of Heaven's Gate, um, in this book, along with a lot of other ones, this copy of um, Communion here as well, Ugh. they were all Ugh. in the Heaven's Gate mansion. Um, 
they had a pretty substantial library of uh, uh, Heaven's Gate, or sorry, of I guess UFO and paranormal related books. Uh, and a few years after the mass suicides in 1999, um, everything in the house was auctioned off to raise raised funds for the uh, victims' families. Um, they, the bunk beds were pretty famously sold. There's some new, old news footage of that, and there was a pallet of books sold. And a lot of most of the stuff from that auction has kind of disappeared. A lot of people went just to get appliances for their house or you know cheap furniture, not even having an association with Heaven's Gate, not even looking at it as collectors. But one of these books ended up going into a storage unit, or sorry, one of these pallets of books went into a storage unit, sat there forever. Eventually, somebody found it, um, and it ended up being just this this awesome collection of all these books that were all relating to um, religion and UFOs and the occult. Um, There was a lot of paperwork. One of the more interesting items is a, um, it's a handwritten list of alteration notes for all of their exit uniforms, the black outfits that they wore um, uh, for their suicides. Uh, Yeah. It was just like a very little treasure trove of heaven's gate uh, uh, antiquities. Um, And for me, these are my personal books, these two, because these, you know, they're just so iconic for, um, their connections between it kind of bridges the gap between the uh, extraterrestrial world and the cult world, true crime world for me. Yeah, and I just thought these were very kind of topical of your show to to bring these ones out. That book communion scares the daylights mm. out of me. It is. Oh yeah, it is the only <clears throat> book that I have never finished. Really, really, and. I was reading it in 1999, so mm. 23 years ago, and I was whole, I was a first first time father, and my daughter was maybe four or five months old, and I'm reading this book, and I got to the point in it where Whitley Strieber starts talking about how he's on craft, and he looks to the side of him, and his son is sitting right beside him on mm. the, on the spacecraft. And here I am holding my daughter. I I remember I took that book and I threw it still in my book collection. And I Mm -hmm. still have the page marked of where I left off. I've never opened that book in 23 years. Oh, I can imagine that would be, um, you know, hit close to home for you for sure. Oh, for sure. Um, One thing I'll show you from inside of this book, there's um, uh, somebody printed off. I don't know if this was printed off. For the auction or afterwards, but it's a little kind of certificate of provenance saying where the book came from, the story of Heaven's Gate, um, and then the original invoice information. The original invoice number was nine nine one one a bidder number uh, comprised of lot this, 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 and this, described as skids with books. So it's sort of the documentation behind these things being in their house, right? So I'm sure that some members at a certain point read these books, you know, it was their personal library of stuff. Um, yeah. And they're, they're just heaven's gate are one of those groups that I'm endlessly fascinated with. It's just damn creepy. Damn mm-hmm. creepy. And nobody knows if they found them aliens or not. Nobody knows, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, but I mean, you look at religious cults. I mean, you, you've mentioned a couple of times, David Koresh and the branch Davidians. I mean, I remember, you know, going back, I think that was in 1994, 95, when, or 93, somewhere in that, in that uh, genre, 
I remember I was homesick from school, and all of a sudden there was mm-hmm. breaking news from Waco, Texas, uh, that the police officers or the ATF officers had been shot and killed when they were going in. And, you mm. know, I remember being glued to that. And and then next thing you know, the, the entire, you see smoke coming up from the compound and, and uh, you know, ripping through and nobody is running out. And next thing you know, there's flames, you know, shooting 100 feet high. I mean, mm. that, that place was a matchbox, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. Is is there any surviving memorabilia that you have seen or had or touched from from uh, Waco or the Branch Davidians? Oh yeah, tons. Uh, I'll show you something really wild that I have here under the desk. So I haven't shown it off before anywhere, so this is a bit of an exclusive. So this box here is from uh, from the compound, from inside the compound. Um, Obviously, a lot of the stuff was destroyed. They had different buildings, though. They had a few different buildings. And the meticulous record keepers, these are all documents from 1949. um, Because the Branch Davidians were around for a long time before um, David Koresh. So these are all uh, remittance envelopes, receipts, kind of their filing system for, um, for things. These would have been in the compound that entire time. Um, and then the story that I got was that they were in a building that wasn't totally destroyed and then moved into storage forever later. And then somebody just got a hold of them somehow. Uh, but this box of documents has a lot of signatures from uh, something Hewlett, I think his last name is, who was kind of the original founder uh, in the 40s. Um, when it comes to other stuff, to do with it. I've seen a few little documents and papers from inside that were more of the branch, the David Koresh era. There's a lot of uh, t-shirts out there. They sold a lot of novelty t-shirts at kind of the media circus outside of, um, outside of the compound because the standoff lasted quite a few days. There were a ton of people who were there just kind of trying to make a quick buck locally. So those have kind of become little sort of novelty collectibles. Now, one of the most interesting things to me that, I don't think will ever be uncovered or, or found, but <clears throat> um, Timothy McVeigh, who went on a year later to the Oklahoma City bombing, was actually at Waco during the siege, and he was selling bumper stickers off his car. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, somewhere, somebody in Texas has a junk drawer with a, a, a bumper sticker that Timothy McVeigh sold at Waco. Um, although, you know, they're never going to come up, but yeah, there's definitely a, a good handful of stuff out there. And David Koresh himself, even, you know, he recorded some CDs. He documented a lot of things, there's a lot of video footage of him. So uh, it's kind of an endless wormhole. If you want to research into them that you can go into. Right. Merle, take it away. We got 15 <clears throat> or less minutes. Uh, one item I think I'd like you to talk about with our listeners. I will think they'll find really, Interesting is the the tile you have from Germany. Perfect. Let me just get that out of the way. Yeah, um, that's. A, I mean, that's one that I. I mean, I, I guess I've maybe had it so long; it's not that interesting. It lost the effect on me after a while, but you and everybody else who's seen it recently has been really interested in it. So, um, kind of had a renewed interest. I've had it out on the desk here. I've been looking at it a lot. Um, so this tile. 
uh, comes from the behind the bathtub of um, German man, Armin Mivis. Uh, he is most famously well known for um, having met a man on the internet on a cannibal form. Uh, this was in the late nineties, inviting him over. And then uh, the man kind of was a willing victim and wanting to be eaten. It was kind of his ultimate fantasy was being eaten by somebody. Armin Mivis wanted to eat somebody. So they, uh, you know, he killed him. Um, he ended up uh, uh, bleeding out in the, in the bathtub upstairs. And then when he was, when he, uh, uh, died, he was kind of processed like meat, stored in the freezer, eaten over a few years. Eventually he was arrested, Armin Mivis. Um, but this, so I know somebody who went to the house because essentially he went to prison. The house just sat there forever and it's been, it's dilapidated, it's falling apart. But um, yeah, this tile was taken from the bathtub. So it would have been right next to uh, his victim at the time of his death which is maybe the most direct item I have to uh, uh, like a dark, heavy crime in that regard of being right next to a person, you know? Oh, very much so. Very much so. You know, (laughs) when I look at all the topics and serial killers and everything, you know, there's a vast array of men who didn't care, attacked men, men who attacked women, men who attacked, Mm -hmm. you know, children. You know, what about somebody like, we talk about a lot of men, but what about female serial killers like Eileen Warnos or somebody along those lines? You know, I mean, there she was a a prostitute who murdered seven men on the road. She finally, uh, the day before her execution, decided to give up all the goods. I mean, somebody like that who was transient, how do you find things about her? Uh, Well, so she was in prison for quite a while and she wrote to some pen pals uh uh not a ton but if you notice with a lot of her letters there's a woman named dawn that she wrote to um she had one friend who she was extremely close with wrote quite a bit to uh dawn had published some books of their correspondence in the past because they had written so much um a childhood friend of hers so a lot of the things relating to her out there uh kind of are associated with with Dawn's name, and then I believe when she, when Eileen died, a lot of her items, all the things from her cell, went to Dawn, and then she kind of had them go out to the market. So she was kind of this this the one person to get things from, or who was sort of getting things out there to people. Um, Eileen Wernos knew before she uh, was executed that you know she pretty much kind of said, "Hey, once I'm gone, all this stuff's going to be worth something, and and I want you to do something with it, and make some money for yourself because you know you've been." a good friend to me and you know you're one of the closest people i have in my life um so it's a very interesting specific case where pretty much everything kind of comes from one spot specifically everything can be traced to one sort of person um whereas a lot of these guys you know they would have written anybody and you can get a letter to some random person anywhere wow wow yeah you know out of all the i've always watched those documentaries on serial killers it 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 fascinates me. The crime doesn't fascinate me, but it, it's really what goes on in their mind to to mm-hmm. bring that way. Because, you know, we all start off life as infants and, you know, we're children. We don't, you know, we want to be a fireman or we want to be a police officer or a doctor or an astronaut. You know, nobody starts off life, you know, wanting to be a serial killer. 
You, mm-hmm. know, you know what I'm saying? And so it's the psychology of it all that really intrigues me about people like Eileen Wernos and Ted Bundy and, and whatever. What what gets you going about these type of characters? Well, I think it's a similar kind of thing. It's it's that <clears throat> as much as we know and as much as certain things are so documented and stories can be so old, people still don't know a lot of the things that caused this. People still don't understand a lot of the reasons behind it. You can, they, you can make connections to people getting a head injury or, or bad things happening in their life. Are you a Jeep owner or do you want to come watch a Jeep parade? Either way, West Baton Rouge has you covered. Friday, December 2nd, it's the Jingle Jeep Parade. Fun for all ages. Deadline to register is November 30th. For details or to register, visit westbatonrouge.net. Don't miss the Jingle Jeep Parade in West Baton Rouge. Come for the parade, stay for all the lights and fun. Visit westbatonrouge.net today and join in the fun for the Jingle Jeep Parade. Vacations are supposed to be easy, right? Lots of stress-free time spent on the beach with a drink in hand, making memories that will last a lifetime. So, booking a vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. They offer easily bookable, all-inclusive vacation packages with exclusive non-stop vacation flights to your favorite vacation destinations. Explore deals to AMR Collection Resorts and plan your luxury vacation with ease. It's like turning on easy mode. Get started at applevacations.com. But there really isn't anything definitive definitive for anybody. And everybody who's kind of given insight into why they did certain things is, you know, three different people could be giving three different answers. They could be totally made up fake answers or that person's belief of what happened. But it's one of those things where every single case and every single situation is so different that um, you're, you're kind of learning totally new from uh, a new fresh start in every case you look at. Uh, so for me, it, it's, you know, there's every, every month I'll hear about true crime cases I'd never even heard of that are, that are wild. Uh, and then get really into those and go into little wormholes learning about them because it's just, there's endless amounts of this stuff out there and this information out there. And beyond that, there's endless amounts of things that people haven't found or haven't dug up. You know, I'm sure there's journals and boxes of documents and recordings and all these things all over the place that, um, that are just waiting to kind of be uncovered, you know, and it, and it's, that's kind of what I'm trying to do is just grind at this as hard as I can to find that, that new stuff. No, I understand you. And I, and I get you with that. It's just, it, it fascinates me. It Mm -hmm. really does fascinate me when it comes to, you know, the, their minds and, and the way they, you know, use manipulation or sex or, or anything to, kind of get their way i mean i don't think it's a it's an alpha male or alpha female thing to me it seems more of a of a psychotic uh wanting to control power or or Mm -hmm. something i mean would you agree with that yeah in a lot of cases i think it's just a extremely kind of concentrated case of of um sociopathy mixed with anger you know there's a lot of people out there who are sociopaths who aren't bad people who are very successful very positive people who that's like a trait of who they are and it has led led them to success in business or or very fulfilled lives and it just you know it's it's the same in the same way that uh, mental health issues could sometimes be an issue with some serial killers but it's there's no direct correlation it just happens to be some people 
who have mental health issues also have some involvement with true crime. Some people who happen to be sociopaths also have the same thing, but it crosses over quite a bit where I think it's, it's, it's people who want control and power uh, uh, and are narcissistic to an extreme or the extreme opposite where they're so um, like not confident in themselves and, and, and so far removed from being a narcissist that they're trying to compensate in the most extreme way possible. You know, they're just, I could go on for hours and hours and hours about this stuff. It's just endlessly interesting to me. I can see that. Merle, we got two and a half minutes. Where do you want to go? Taylor, what's in your inbox or your, your cart right now? What item are you trying to track down? Like what, what's your latest kick for items? I mean, I'm not, uh, well, so with the Dharma show that just came out, got a lot of eyes on the site, got a lot of people reaching out. This month, I bought some really interesting stuff. I bought a lot of Ted Bundy stuff. I bought a bunch of crime scene photos from the Jeffrey Dahmer case that had been unpublished before, uh, which I have on the site now. Um, the thing that I haven't really talked about yet that I have coming pretty soon is that I bought um, x-rays of Jeffrey Dahmer's uh, uh, brain taken in 1991. So it was after a certain arrest Um for an unrelated crime, not not any of the killings or anything, they did look at his brain. Um, and somebody who who was at the hospital had copies of these X, the original X rays, um, which I had never seen before, had never been published before. And whenever there's one of those things where it's um, you know, new information, nobody's seen it. Um, I always really want to pick it up, even if you know this is an extremely valuable item. I don't know if I'll ever make money on it or break even, but. Yeah, just getting to kind of archive it and put it up on my site. Um, so I've got a lot of kind of educational stuff on the site or, or galleries of, of rare items. Um, yeah, that's kind of worth it for me. You know, it's 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 almost like I'm collecting information. That's my mm. part of the collection is the information, the new information that I'm getting, um, as opposed to the physical items. Collecting info is what really gets me going. So yeah, that's that's on the way soon, hopefully. Um, aside from that though, I'm just kind of, just kind of wait for what comes to me. Um, every other day I get contacted by somebody with something interesting. So I'm always just kind of waiting and seeing what, uh, what comes by. Gentlemen, I want to say a big thank you for coming on in to spaced out radio tonight. Merle, uh, great job at introducing us to Taylor James tonight. Uh, Merle from the Paranormal Road Trippers, based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. Very much appreciated, Merle. No worries. It was he's a great guest, great guy, and keep on collecting. Thank you. I really appreciate the time. All Thanks right, for having me on. Taylor James. His website coming on in is cultcollectibles.org. Even if you're intrigued in the macabre, this is a cool site to actually check out. It really, truly is. You know, you don't have to be into it. You don't have to agree with it, but check it on out. It's amazing. I had no idea that this entire type of world was even around us. You learn something new every single day, don't you? Coming up next, we're going to head to the swamp. Then our resident Timbit, Tim Senor, is here with the UFO report and special guest from the USS Nimitz, Kevin Day. We'll be back. Great show, guys. Great show. Long show. Lots of good Merlin from the chat room. 
lots mm-hmm. of uh, people very intrigued, Taylor. That's the way we want it, man. Great. Yeah, really. I appreciate you having me on. Thank. I'm glad this timed out well. Yeah, worked worked, out, worked yeah. perfectly. Worked perfectly. Good job. He was an American, Merle. Every every hour he changes it. Half half hour, I should. Every say. half hour, new name. Yeah. New name. New name. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, guys. Get rid of my no-swearing sign here. <laughs> yeah, don't right, swear. Take care, guys. Merle will give you a call tomorrow, so okay? All the best, Ciao. Taylor. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All right, Taylor and Merle, there they go. Into the wild blue yonder. I will be right back, guys. Take a little break.
right. We got one minute to play here. Little Timmy Senor with Grantavius Maximus sitting in the background. <coughs> How we all doing, people? Black Dragon, what's going on, my favorite Marine? All right. Thank you, Thomas, Titui, Jake, Matram, and Steven for the amazing super chats tonight. Very much appreciate the love and support, everyone. Thank you to everyone who's given us a thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways, who's hit subscribe tonight. This weird, weird show that we did. Weird, weird show. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but do we have a surprise coming up for you guys? Sweet Tony D from the UK. Good morning to you, my friend. Yeah. We got like five seconds here. Let's do this thing, shall we? Here we go. you like to connect with us head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info now back to dave scott and sor third and final hour of spaced out radio is now underway good to have you with us my name is dave scott very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call earth hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around north america Digitally on Odyssey Radio, Talk Stream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Obfuscate. Obfuscate is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers. As the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show. And on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again where we head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. When I was in 7th or 8th grade thereabouts, our school had an early summer trip where they would take 10 kids who signed up and 4 adult chaperones to keep them wrangled up in the Frederick Sound of Alaska for 3 weeks total. The trip's goal was to kayak to different wilderness beaches and to camp along the mountains. We left from Petersburg, Alaska by a small seaplane that flew us in fours out to our first destination which was a beautiful little bay cove area on an island that you could walk to on low tide. 
Behind the bay on the hillside was an evergreen forest that overlooked a beautiful set of mountains. By that point of the trip, we would be on our own for the next two and a half weeks. It took about a half a day to get that done and the rest of the day to set up everyone's camps for the night. The first unusual thing we saw back up in the tree line from the beach when we arrived was old wooden ship parts. You could find ropes and pulleys thicker than our arms, old rotted pieces of carved planks and railings, and most interesting, a helm and its deck attachment. All these things are half buried in the dirt strewn across the tree line above the shore in a dire state of decay, but no sign of any other part of the ship. I don't know how long it had been there. I don't know if it was wrecked on the shore long ago or was wrecked at sea and chucked up onto the beach during storms. But it was eerily fascinating to all of us kids and we all brought up many wild ideas to what we thought it might be at the campfire that night. After all the others returned to their tents, the girl I had a thing for with at school and I stayed at the fire to talk and flirt. It was the perfect timing for it too. We listened to some humpback whales singing out in the bay and we heard some wolves in between owl hoots from out in the very wild darkness. We had a starry night sky that looked out of a dream with a big white moon letting in a bright bluish light in between the trees on the shore. Both of us were finally getting tired around what must have been 1 or 2 a.m. And we ran out of the easily found wood to chuck up on the dying fire. We headed back to our respective tents. The tents were set up in a line of trees, a line running from the beach into the woods. The girls' two tents were right against the sand. The chaperone's tent was a couple of yards away from that and our boys' two tents were just a couple of yards further. We were the furthest into the wood. The moonlight made it easy for me to find my way back to my tent, but once I entered the tent, I didn't see where my new friend Alex was sleeping, and I accidentally woke him up. Now, Alex and I had just become friends on that trip. However, we did kind of know each other from some classes and in the hallways. We didn't really know each other that much. We just hung out in different social groups. We didn't hang out before this trip, he was an athlete and popular kid and I was a skater band kid. Still, we both loved the outdoor. He asked me what the hell I was doing back so late and he was giving me a grin as I said I was still at the fire with Lisa. He immediately sat up and wanted to hear more. We were quietly giggling about girls and teenage boy stuff when the woods outside went dead silent out of nowhere. The kind of silence that gives you a sick feeling in your chest and throat and some sort of weird weight in your stomach. It's like the back of your neck starts to feel hot and a survival instinct is telling you that you're not alone in the wild. We both noticed it too. Everything fell silent. The only sound we could still hear beside the distant roll of waves was inside of our tent. Our other tent mate, Sam, had been there the whole time and was still snoring away like a chainsaw. Funny, right? Except we were more worried about why things had gone silent outside. We felt uneasy about it and decided to listen for a couple of minutes, and that's when we heard it. Now, the side of our tent with the door was facing toward the other tents and the shore. This noise came from the opposite side, the side of the woods. I kid you not, it sounded like a bunch of monks meditating and harmonizing on the word OM, but without saying the M part and continuing the prolonged drone sound. It moved from out of the forest to our tent. It started softly and far away and rather quickly but steadily became louder, which is how we realized it was moving closer. It sounded human, but there was no pausing for breaths or shift in tone for any known reason. It was something that I can't really explain. 
Suddenly, the noise was outside the tent, and that's when we noticed even Sam had stopped snoring. As far as I know, he was still asleep, but his silence made the noise more intense. It circled us, no wavering or swaying of the noise. It just spun, seemingly suspended in the air, just a few feet outside of our tent, at what I can only describe as a humanish height off the ground. We couldn't see through the tent, but the moon was still bright enough to see silhouettes of the trees outside. So, I would assume that if something solid were making it, it would cast a shadow from certain angles. Nope. No visible form was coming from this noise. No footsteps or twigs were snapping. Just the noise circling. At this point, Alex and I's heart were pounding in our throats, and we had the looks of terror on our face. We just kept silent and still listened. After it circled our tent, we heard it move closer to the other boys' tents and do the same. Then down to the chaperone's tent. It spun theirs but sounded fainter due to the distance. It continued to the girls' tents where we could barely hear it over the sound of the ocean. But sure enough, it sounded like it stayed there a minute. Based on the current context most likely circling, then after a few minutes, we heard it slowly return in a straight line from the beach and pass us back into the forest where it faded and disappeared. A couple of minutes after the sound stopped, the nighttime forest noises returned, and even Sam started snoring again. Alex and I quietly said to each other, Holy crap, did you hear that too? Then we tried to go back to sleep, but I'm sure neither of us were very successful. The following day, we went outside and checked all around the campsite and couldn't find any sort of tracks or anything different from the previous night. Nothing at all. We asked if anyone else in the group had been awake and heard anything weird, and the response was no. We didn't go further into it with any of the others, but Alex and I know what we experienced. After the trip, he and I went back to not hanging out, but when we do see each other, we exchange looks of solidarity and know what happened, and we experienced something truly different that night. And Swamp Dweller taking us on another weird and strange journey, and that's what we love about the Swamp Dweller around here. You can check him on out every Monday through Friday night here on Spaced Out Radio. Or you can just go to his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash. Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Adobe, Pepsi, and Home Depot, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. Listen to this insight from Stanley Druckenmiller, the greatest investor of all time. If you love what you do, first of all, your work ethic is going to be fantastic. You're just going to be better at something if you enjoy it than if you don't enjoy it. And this from Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target. I think you've got to balance short-term with long-term. And you've got to have a conviction that the things you're doing, your investments, your strategy, over time, you're making the right investments and right decisions for your brand and your business. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to. Feeling stuck when it comes to writing? Jasper is an AI writing assistant that helps you break through writer's block, create blogs, social content, add variations, really anything you can imagine, much faster than you would on your own. 
With Jasper's text-to-image generator, you can even create original art. Convey your best ideas better and faster with Jasper. No more blank pages or unfinished pieces. Try Jasper for free at jasper.ai today. Swamp Dweller reads and hit subscribe on that. He's got thousands of stories just like that for free for all of you. Well, it's that time of the night once again where we head into the sky. Tim Senor, the UFO report. Here it comes. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. We got little Timmy Senor here. We call him the Tim Bit around here for the UFO report. He is down near Klamath Falls, Oregon, with our weekend guy, Grant Grantavius Baker. Terry Hall is somewhere around there with his beautiful mustache and goatee combination. And a very, very special guest that is hanging out with you guys tonight. Tim, welcome back, my man. Thanks very much for having me, Dave. How's my sound? Because I'm working with a different mic tonight. Is everything okay over there? You sound absolutely beautiful as my voice starts Great. to fade out. And uh, what are you guys doing down there? Um, well, we are actually being hosted by our very generous and wonderful host, Kevin Day. And so we're going to be hanging out with him and talking with him for a couple days and in the meantime hopefully you guys will get a little insight and he'll be able to come on camera a little later and you'll get to talk to him too right on right on and how how do you get grant baker involved i mean this is just ridiculous having grant come on in you know i mean he must have paid you some big money to hang out with rock stars such as yourself tim (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Well, we just, you know, we flew him in. We had to rent a chopper, flew him in. He got <laughs> dropped off. Mm-hmm. Limo he's, service. He's yep. got limo service. He's got his whole crew. He comes with an entourage. It was pricey, but worth every penny. Look at the quality in person, top quality we have here. <laughs> well, two good friends right there and two in the background. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of UFO news that is going on around the world, both on both sides of the border. And there's a lot of Canadian news that has uh, just been breaking the last 24 hours here or so. And we're going to get more into that tomorrow night when I go off on the Dave 101, because I'll tell you, Canada's doing it right, my friend. Leave it to the Canadians who are doing it right on their way to disclosure, real disclosure. None of this crap that we see in the United States where it's all about confirmation and threat narratives. No, no, no. Sometimes, you know, Big Brother upstairs has to smarten you guys up and say, this is the way it's done. Doesn't happen often, but when we do, we always get it right. Well, let's just go ahead and get your facts straight here. So uh, it sounds like members of the Pentagon's UFO task force briefed the Canadian military officials earlier this year and a previously unreported meeting that was revealed this week. And so it looks like, according to a document released on November 14th, uh, the February briefing was delivered by multiple members of the Pentagon's UAP task force and attended by 10 Canadian defense officials, 
including personnel from the Royal Canadian Air Force and Canadian Forces Intelligence Command, which is responsible for collecting and assessing military intelligence. And so the document provided has a few other details, including that the officials from the Department of Defense UAP Task Force and National Intelligence Manager for Aviation met with the Canadian Department of National Defense and Royal Canadian Air Force officials on February 22nd, 2022, as part of our continued partnership on aerospace security to include the UAP phenomenon and the U.S. Department of Defense spokesperson, Susan Goff. Well, the one thing that's interesting about this, guys, is, look, we know that there has been numerous conversations. We broke the story going back about a year and a half ago that Justin Trudeau, the Canadian prime minister, had been read in to the UFO program. We know that meeting happened uh, in 2019, sometime between August and December of that year, when former ambassador to the U.S., David McNaughton, came out and gave a report on this to Trudeau and his colleagues. So the fact that the federal government in Canada has stayed absolutely silent on this, while the opposition party, the Conservative Party of Canada, is the one who is really stirring it up, is pretty amazing. And and tomorrow night on, I don't want to go too much into detail on this because I am going to do this on the Dave 101 tomorrow night. But guys, I really wish our American friends would take note on what the Canadian government is doing towards disclosure. It's not about threat narratives. It's not about national security because the Canadian Department of National Defense has already come out and said, we don't feel there is anything that we need to worry about here. Yes, our CF-18s have tried to track down UFOs. Yes, we have numerous agencies that are looking into this subject, and all the paperwork is just in one big pile in, in numerous different offices. But where we're getting it right, guys, is Canada is going on a scientific approach. And I will explain that tomorrow night on the Dave 101 uh, to give you guys clarity. To show the difference, the difference, and this isn't trying to insult the United States or, or the UFO world or anything like that. But the Canadian government realizes that even though we're only a nation of 30, uh, just under 37 million, population smaller than California, our government officials know and are understanding that this is a topic that is going to affect every Canadian. And Tim, you and I talked about that quite a bit the other night. We don't need more Kevin Days getting upset, okay? And I, and I mean that with all due respect to Kevin because Kevin has PTSD over his event 20-some years ago with the USS Nimitz. And Kevin, if you ever get a chance to meet him, and our audience will have him on here uh, in just a few minutes, Okay, Kevin is a high-quality guy. He is a nice guy. He is an honest man. And he you could tell in his life he's done an honest day's hard work to try and get where he is. And... To see what he has gone through and others have gone through. And then you see what 
the U.S. government is pushing, which is a threat narrative from Space Force and Luis Elizondo on down, where is that getting us? It's because it's about money. See, in Canada, there is no money for defense. Okay? It's like number 16 on our list of budget talks. Okay, that's why our that's why our military is flying fighters that are almost 45 years old instead of upgrading to the F-22 or the F-35. Okay, this is where we are going. And I think it's a smart move. We'll get more into it on the Dave 101. I mean, wouldn't you guys down there, Tim, you and I have had talks. Grant, you and I have had talks about this. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be nice, Grant, to be talking about the science of UFOs, the science about where they're coming from, how are they getting here, rather than we got to put nukes in space a la Tom DeLonge and we got to prepare for war with aliens? Yeah, the whole threat narrative is one of those things that I've never actually quite picked up on and ran with. When it comes to, you know, the scientific approach that, that Canada is now doing, that's something that I think needed to be done multi-generations ago. Not just today, but 75 years ago it should have been done like that. That way we'd be closer to the truth. And we'd probably have a lot cooler toys to play with today if we had done something like that. And we wouldn't be calling, you know, certain governments liars. And the the way they treat their 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 employees over stuff like this. And it's just it's turned into this huge issue where it's it's kinda of, we dropped the ball on it, is what happened. And hopefully we can watch you guys pick up that ball and run with it. And the United States my God willing, I hope they kind of follow suit. Well, we're soon going to see. We're soon going to see. I'm going to get into it, like I said, tomorrow night on the Dave 101, a little bit more on what's going on. And you know what? That's pretty much enough stories here for tonight. I, I think there is a little bit. Uh, did you want to get into Tim Burchett? Tim, is that where you wanted to go? Congressman Tim Burchett? No, no, not at all. In fact, um, I was just hoping to pull in our guest. Well, I'll let, see you guys later. Let's do it. Let's kick Grant out. Let's bring in a, a real hero and, and a, an American patriot from former U.S. Navy on the Nimitz, Kevin, Kevin Day. Kevin, my friend, I haven't seen you in a couple of years since we were at uh, UFO Con in San Francisco, and it was a pleasure to get to interview you one-on-one -on -one there. Uh, I, I really mean it when I say it, Kevin. I think uh, when it comes to UFOs, you're an honest voice. You're a man's man if we're still allowed to say that today, but I don't really care. I'm going to say it anyways. And it's so good to chat with you again, my friend. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you tonight. And um, there's one thing I want to do when I go to Congress um, is I want to bury the hatchet on this whole thing, because I have to be honest with you guys. Um, if what happened to me, had happened to someone else in 04, and I had been on the other side of that table listening to someone else tell the incredible tale that I was telling about intercepting UFOs off the SoCal coast, I may have been doing the laughing. You know what? Because it would be easy to sit here now and claim otherwise and say, you know what, I would have done it different and I would have known better. Bullshit. That ain't honest. 
And so when I do go to Congress, I want to bury the sword on this. I don't hold any animosity for anyone that I used to work for or with or anyone that they did this or they did that. No, I don't subscribe to any of that shit. Nope. That's done. It's time to bury the axe on this, bury the hatchet on it. And it's time to, the other thing I'm going to tell Congress is it's time to start public education in our grade schools. That way, when mommy's taking Sally and Joey to school, and Sally says, hey, Bob, oh, hey, Joey, look, that's the thing we learned about in school. It ain't no big deal. And mommy can go home and tell daddy. And she ain't ridiculed and called insane like I was when I ended up in the wilderness. That's a whole nother story we can't get into right now, but it's fascinating. When I came back, and it's not Climate Falls. We're in Cave Junction, Oregon. Close uh, pretty close to the California border, yeah. Really close to the Calmeopsis wilderness. Uh, real long story short, ended up in the wilderness, um, possessed with this idea, because contact changes you, man. Not everyone, but it can change you. And I became obsessed with this idea. I could find the mother load to a family mining claim, 160-acre place for mining claim, been on our family since 1922, and it's still active. And boy, howdy, did I. I didn't have a background in geology or mining or nothing that I was able to figure out. Um, you wait till you see my research and NASA has flown on it. I, I gave my research to Elon Musk when I applied for the Dear Moon mission. And four days later, I was outside the house. Real weird airplane flying back and forth over the wilderness. And what in the blank word is that? I've never seen anything like that. And I'm an air defense guy. I know what I'm seeing, right? I come in the house, jump on the internet. Contact some of my old buddies, my network. And one of my buddies emails me back. He says, Kevin, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, that was a NASA flight on a geodetic mission. Wow. They're watching somebody you, my checked. friend. They are watching somebody you. Had well, I gave him my research. Because what it is, um, what I figured out is our mining claim is associated with um, a larger piece of geology called the Josephine Ophiolite. And, and I'm going to stop right here. And basically... It, Kev, I'm going to get you to hold on right there because we do got to go to break yeah. for our final break at the uh, bottom of the hour here. Tim Senor with the UFO Report with special guest from the USS 2004 Nimitz case. Kevin Day, radar operator on the Princeton. We'll be back with more Spaced Out Radio right after this. to talk to them oh cool all right we are clear remind me pacific's birdie marks okay yep. we are clear cool are we back uh well, yeah, we're, we're back on, with we're our youtube commercial. audience we're, we're back with the youtube audience. Oh, okay okay i'll, I'll <laughs> wait for the stories right to continue the story yeah. for a minute okay yeah. i got you i'm almost done by the way that's all right. We only have so much time tonight. Hey, we need to do this again, Dave. Oh, of course. Of course. There's some stuff breaking off. It's just amazing. Yep. And it oh. just keeps happening. <laughs> the phenomena is a funny, funny thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. You, you wait to see some of the emails I have. <laughs> The whole world's connecting over this, literally. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just oh, sent yeah. him a text. And not, it's not governments; it's regular people. Like, 
university professors and janitors, you know, everything, everyone in between. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, Sorry. He's watching you, watching us, watching him, watching. Yeah, him. we're on camera. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You get used to it after a while, huh? Oh, and I don't have my glasses. Oh, it says. Okay. Not that we did, but he's reminding yeah, us. That's why. Fill in the blank word. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Oh, look at that. We're now the Tim Bit and Kevin Day. Cool. <laughs> We've been renamed. The Tim Bit. The Tim Bit. We need t-shirts. <laughs> Just replace my head with a donut. <laughs> it looks like one anyways. Yeah, Dave. If everybody would have had SOR swag, we'd have all been wearing it tonight. Kevin included. <laughs> Give me some radio stations, and then we'll worry about it. Ooh. Oh, you got it. Challenge accepted. <laughs> there him. Yeah, there him. That's fantastic. Well, that's a great picture from little Granty Baker right there that he just sent over. Look at that. Oh, no. Look at that. <laughs> oh, look at that. That's us yeah. right now. Whoa. Put that up on the SOR page. Spending time. Dave, are we alive in the future? Uh, I don't Check know. My Aussie face. crowd isn't here tonight. I'm Mr. Oh, Catfish. No. We could be dead tomorrow. We have no clue. <laughs> yeah, we could already be dead. Holly, yeah. how are you? If there's any Aussies out in the, uh, in the chat room right now, please let us know, are we alive tomorrow? Come on. Just, <laughs> we want to make it one more day. I want to make it one more day. Yeah, those in Sydney, not in Perth. Uh, oh, Kanga Anon says, yes, you are alive. Intel. We made it, guys. Right. We made it. We made hey, it. Can I continue? Sure, just um, not on your story yet until okay. we come back in. But I was okay. going to say very briefly, Dave, if you or your audience have any questions, um, feel free to put them in caps. I guess I can turn on comments here and um if anyone has any questions for kevin if it looks like something we can answer we'll go ahead and try i see how we are living how are you welcome back uh you are alive eight hours in the future too thank you appreciate that from the uk <clears throat> oh steam train mark finally showed up yes you are alive tomorrow thank you steam train mark very much appreciate it yay Hot damn. We're, we made it, people. That was a close one, too. We only had like 26 <laughs> minutes to find out. Uh, Kevin, there's a number of people in our chat room uh, messaging, saying thank you for your service. That they really uh, appreciate it for you. Um, all right. Big thank you, guys, to Mr. Catfish, T2E, Thomas, Jake, Matram, and Stephen for the super chats tonight. Very much appreciate the love and support. And uh, remember, the Super Chat is a wonderful way to support what we do on a nightly basis here. If you haven't already, we're eight shy of 100 thumbs up. We've got a good streak going. We'd love to continue that uh, over 100. And if you're new, don't forget to hit subscribe and ring that bell 
because we are trying to get to 20,000 subscribers before the end of the year. Yeah, we're close. We're at 19,444 to start this show. Hi, Peter Vare. How are you? And, uh, guys, we are about uh, five seconds away, so sit tight. Here we go. Interesting. Do you know about this? We rounded third. We're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I want to remind you that if you miss portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with our main man, our good friend, Tim Senor from the UFO Report, hanging on out, talking all things strange. We got a special guest tonight. He was a part of the 2004 USS Nimitz incident. He was a radar operator on the USS Princeton. Mr. Kevin Day, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. And, uh, Kevin, you, you, I had to cut you off uh, a story you were mentioning about your own property and NASA flying aircraft over. Yeah, and, ba- and basically to finish up, and the reason why I'm explaining it is because it goes, it goes to a point that I want to make in a minute. So it, it, it helps to provide, to understand the context of why I'm about to say what I'm about to say. But anyway, to finish my story on... Vacations are supposed to be easy, right? Lots of stress-free time spent on the beach with a drink in hand, making memories that will last a lifetime. So booking a vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. They offer easily bookable, all-inclusive vacation packages with exclusive nonstop vacation flights to your favorite vacation destinations. Explore deals to AMR Collection Resorts and plan your luxury vacation with ease. It's like turning on easy mode. Get started at AppleVacations.com. Vacations are supposed to be easy, right? Lots of stress-free time spent on the beach with a drink in hand, making memories that will last a lifetime. So booking a vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. They offer easily bookable vacation packages with exclusive nonstop vacation flights to your favorite vacation destinations. Explore deals to top-rated resorts like Ryu Hotels and Resorts and plan your vacation with ease. It's like turning on easy mode. Get started at AppleVacations.com today. In hydrology, it's um, the land that we have here is from the Pacific spreading arcs. And along the Pacific spreading arcs, you got hydrothermal vents and they lay down mineral deposits. It's the first original mineral sorter, if you will, right? And um, those normally get subducted under continental place because it's really, really heavy ground. But when they do get stuck on top of continental place, they're called ophiolites. And that's what we have here. We have an ophiolite, 157 million years old. It's called the Josephine Ophiolite. And I was able to figure out that our mining site was associated with it. And long story short, when I applied for the Deer Moon mission, 
one of the requirements was tell us how what you're doing on Earth is going to be, be helped by going to the moon. So I said, what the heck? I'll send in my re my geologic research. And four days later is when the NASA flight happened. Wow. And my 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 point my point of telling you that story is because I want people to know. And my my main concern at this point is the fact that and it doesn't happen to everyone apparently, but contact with these things changes you. And the, the problem is if you don't know why you're being changed, like I didn't, dude, man, I, I was a top trainer in the Navy and the DOD. And all of a sudden I'm living like a wild man in the wilderness. My whole family thought I had gone insane, you know, for good reason. Like what the hell is Kevin doing? You know? Oh, I get you. And, I know, and, and, and my, well, my my fear is this: we need to get the world ready because just what if there was a mass contact event and the entire world went through what I went through and nobody knew what was going on? That might not end so well. It's time to wake up, realize these things are real, educate our little children so when they inherit our position in life, it ain't no big deal. They knew about it. They learned about it years ago. It's that simple. It's that simple. Duh. Kevin, How hard is that? Kevin, one of the questions I want to ask you here, my friend, is the fact that, you know, in the previous report uh, and in the congressional hearings, they were really, in my opinion, a waste of time. All right. I mean, when we were getting questions about little green men and swamp gas again, it really showed me how out of touch Congress was for it. Now, everybody is hoping that there are going to be new congressional hearings, both public and private. Have you been asked at all to participate in future congressional hearings? I am, um, in the words of my attorney, Michael Hall, he's my pro bono attorney. It's a lot of your um, listeners know who he is. I have the inside track to go testify, apparently, yeah. And, and, and believe me, I have been preparing, as it turns out, for this moment my entire life. I was trained as a public speaker and as an instructor in the Navy. I'm able to control emotion, and I'm going to have I'm going to have that committee in tears. They, they there is no way they're not going to be able to do something when I'm done. Trust me. I've been pre preparing for this my entire adult life. This is my goal. I want to get in front of Congress because we have to do something. And it's that simple. Let's educate the kids. Let's start there and do public service announcements. These things are real. They're findable. And in the research, let's open it like Canada is doing, you know, and let's, let's help out the, the civilians. Like why did it take us to go prove they're findable using this equipment? We were able to get, from, or throw together with our team and um, beautiful Caroline Corey funded the whole thing. She took a risk on us and I'll never be able to repay what she did for us. Um, I owe her everything you know, for what she did. And that'll be my message, you know, and they're going to have to listen to me. Yep. There are a number of people you, you served on who have been at the, uh, many of the forefront from this, whether it's Gary Voorhees, PJ Hughes, uh, Sean Cahill later on, uh, you know, who now seems to work extremely closely with, with Lou Elizondo. Uh, you know, there's been a number of people from the USS Nimitz case 
that that continue on with the fight. However, there there seems to be differentiating opinions on which way to go. Uh, Elizondo seems to uh, go with more of a threat narrative. And, uh, you know, the UAPX team uh, that you were formerly a part of and one of the original founders of has really gone down the the, the pike of uh, of trying to find out the science behind it all. Where do you stand now in, in regards to this, Kevin? Oh, he's having a seizure. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, one second here. Uh, we'll be right yeah. back with uh, Kevin and Tim and, and everybody uh, here momentarily. <clears throat> We're just going to find out what what is going on because uh, um seems to be a little bit of a break in the stream right now. And, yeah, so we will we'll get to those questions. But those are tough questions that need to be asked, especially in regards to whether or not uh, they have um, they have the ability to really say truthfully whether or not the UFO phenomena is a threat narrative. And if we don't have a threat narrative, then we need to to figure out what is the truth behind this. And we don't seem to have much of a truth going on, you know, when so many different people seem to have many different ideas as to what is actually happening. So, I mean, I'm just waiting to for Tim to give me a, a signal here or something, whether or not they can come on back. But the threat narrative is something that that is tough. It is very tough because we need to we need to be able to really focus on the true meaning of UFOs. The true meaning. Let's bring Tim back here. Tim, how you doing there, buddy? I'm good. I know Kevin just is having just a quick break here because this is yeah. Very tough and stressful topic for him reg- right. regarding this, but you know, like I was saying about the whole threat narrative that that still seems to be perceived on everything. To me, Tim, this is a this is something that needs to be addressed because everybody's jumping in on this bandwagon, and I know you yeah. and I, you and I have talked quite frequently about this recently too. Well, I kind of like the way Canada is taking their new address at this. And they really brought this to our attention initially through the drone infringements over, I believe, electrical plants. Am I right? Some of the earlier infringements into their locations with actual drones. And since it came into the headlines as quote-unquote drones, it kind of put into question the possibility of UAP. And so they didn't necessarily quote, call it, no, so, so much as a threat, but as something that needed to be addressed, and we need to determine that they are drones and not something else. So I like the way Canada took that sideways approach at addressing this not so much as a threat, but as something that we're not sure about that we need to look into deeper. And I find that that is a very good way to look at this. You know, one of the things that many other people in the world may not understand, Tim, is 
you know when you when you look at it and pardon me for saying this out of uh, a lot of people may may think I'm being ignorant with this question but I'm going to ask it anyways you know from an outsider's perspective on on the United States one thing that really catches uh, my attention on everything is is when it comes to the military everything seems to be a threat everything seems to be against US national security at some point, that story needs to end, knowing that the United States spends more money than the next 28 countries in the world annually on defense, and 27 of those are allies of the United States. You know, at what point, and that isn't an insult to the beautiful men and women who serve in the military or any of the branches of the armed forces, because God bless them. You know what I'm saying? God bless everybody who who uh, puts the uniform on. But just the whole idea of at some point, why do the why does the American public continue to allow this increase and these threat narratives to happen? It's got to go yeah. beyond 2001 and what mm-hmm. happened in New York. Right. Well, I think you may kind of be seeing, again, a dollar-driven narrative, right? And so if they're looking for um, money to be spent a certain way, then you may see a narrative to kind of drive that. Now, again, we saw something very early on in 2000, and I think, when was the the New York Times? 2017. Okay. 2017, right. And so since then, it's kind of been a common thread through a lot of the media covering this in the United States. And so I think it was initially perhaps something that was of real concern, but now it's kind of become a narrative that we're seeing woven into every media publication and perhaps into every uh, person's mind as they're thinking on this topic, what are the threats that are potentially involved? Now, I know a few pilots have made that uh, aware um, because they are very concerned about the things that are flying in the airspace that they're sharing. I think that's an absolutely valid concern. However, I don't think that it's fair to consider everything that's up there, UAP, to be a threat. Well, and that's exactly it. That's the point we're getting at is it's not a threat. You know, we're just trying to figure out how we can how we can calm the situation down and talk rationally about it. Imagine mm-hmm. imagine how how much further we could get with this subject, Tim, if if uh the subject was was branded as scientific and or something along the lines of hey, this is kind of cool. We may have yeah. found something else. Well, look at how disclosure has been driven from the very beginning. Um, it's been the loudest mouths that have been fed the food, right? And so if you're demanding attention to this because it could pose a problem, um, then it may get the dollars necessary to be spent to research it deeper. However, you can see how a lot of it's been filtered off, and even Lou Elizondo complained that even his budget was siphoned off into other things because it wasn't considered a real topic of interest. 
which is a problem. And so congressional hearings, changing the topic to something that can be collated, data can be collected. We can prove that there is something that not may not necessarily be a threat, but can be considered in our airspace. It's a new dialogue. It's a new temperature. We need to keep that going. We need to get people like Kevin Day and people like him and scientists that have information that is real, real experiences in front of Congress, in front of the right people. And that's the way we're going to change this narrative and change the topic, hopefully not just in our country, but across the whole planet, because this is not exclusive to Canada. It's not exclusive to the United States. It's a worldwide thing. Very true. And you hit the nail on the head. We need to be looking at this from a populace of 7.8 billion, not out of about 100 people sitting in Washington, D.C. 100% correct. You know, can the ball move forward? How do we shift the ball? And let me let me be proactive in saying this. Could another country like Canada or the United Kingdom or Australia or Brazil or someone else actually force that ball to be shifted on American soil regarding UFOs? Well, I think absolutely. Um, and I well to address the fact that it needs to be moved on in other countries as well. We need Kevin Days in each country somebody that is a spokesperson, someone that can represent the real data, someone that's seen it up close and personal, someone that is credible, and have them move that forward in that country. Let them perhaps work with a team, sort of like a Lou Elizondo or whatever that group may be in that country. Let them move that in their country. Let them elevate it to a um, you know, a place where it can be considered as a reality, at least. And I think that could be the first step. But um, getting aggressive and putting it in front of our Congress and every other country's um, group of leaders and decision makers is imperative, at least to get the facts in front of them. And so in this country, we've done it in very simple ways. Kevin has done his work. Every group is doing their work, you know, individually in the public sector. What we need to do now is give more power to the people that we put in office and give them the tools to perhaps change the temperature. And I mean that by guys like Tim Burchett. He deserves data. Let's put that in his hands. Let's put it in the hands of Susan Goh. She may not like it, but it's coming from the public and she can't deny it. Well, uh, Tim Burchett has come out with some scathing, scathing remarks regarding the ODNI and their report that it's being kept from people. That Mm -hmm. he can't seem to, to get any answers anymore. And it's really, really troublesome for him regarding where this is going. He's starting to wonder if there is a UFO cover-up happening within Congress regarding this subject. Yeah, and you may have nailed it right on the head here. And it's great that he's bringing this out in public eye. I mean, if anyone's going to talk about this publicly, he is the guy. He's very comfortable saying what he thinks. And if there is a cover-up, why not have Tim Burchett be that guy? I would love to see more from him. And this new news story, I believe, is is going to just be one of many to come. Well, we need to uh, we need to uh, 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 really, really push this subject forward because there does seem to be more cover-ups and more cover-ups and cover-ups of cover-ups. 
that just seem to continue happening. Right. And at what point do you think that the lips are being sealed in Congress? At what level? I mean, if there's a cover up there, that's really disheartening for people that are trying to present truth. In your opinion, do you have any thought on what that could be or, or what they're digging into? I think so. I totally think so. Or the secrets run so deep that they no longer want people within Congress talking about it. Let's leave it to the big boy and girl senators. Let's leave it to the military and the the, the small-time Congress people and the, the peons in the public. They don't need to know. They don't need to talk about this. Very communistic, Tim. Very communistic. Yeah. Very disheartening for people like ourselves that are hoping for truth and disclosure. Um, but uh, again, you know, the more that we reveal this through the media, the more that people like Tim talk about it, uh, the better, because it can't continue. Um, and again, you know, we are seeing more coming from the public uh, groups that are individual out there. We're seeing a lot more truth in the media and it's getting harder to cover this up. I think they're going to have a hard time if they continue with this path of cover up. I really do. Tim, we got about 90 seconds to go here before we got to say goodbye to you as you're hanging down in southern Washington, right near the yeah, California yeah. border, going to look for some UFOs with our good friends, Grant Indeed. Baker and Terry Thanks Hall. Thanks for sharing your screens with us, everyone. Thanks, chat, and thanks yep. a lot, Dave. Next time. Uh, Kev, we're glad to have you here, buddy. Anytime you want to come on, you All can right. come on. You know how it is, and uh, you know we, we got to make this work. We got to get rid of this threat narrative. We got to get rid of, you know, the the storylines like NASA and all that kind of crap. Let's just get straight to the goods. What is this all about? Because you know what, Kevin will agree with me when I say this: the experiencers already know. We just need to find it in our brain to figure out what that answer is, and that's the hard part. That is the real, real hard part. So you guys have fun over the next couple of days finding some aliens over there in uh, southern Washington or Oregon. We, you know, thanks for the invite, you jerks. But nonetheless, I'll stay home <laughs> in, in the snow, you know, hanging on out, lonely as ever, right si sitting by myself by a campfire over the weekend, nobody to talk to. And you guys are chasing UFOs. Thank you, boys. Very much appreciate you. And uh, very much appreciate Swamp Dweller for giving us another great story here coming up. Uh, that is, he does every Monday through Friday night to kick off hour three of this show. Big thank you as well to Merle from the Paranormal Road Trippers and Taylor James from cultcollectibles.org for a weird, strange show tonight but one that was pretty amazing overall. Wow, what a show. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio, rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everyone listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. Twitch, 
YouTube, LGAP, Facebook, Spreaker, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, we own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Woo Train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night. Vacations are supposed to be easy, right? Lots of stress-free time spent on the beach with a drink in hand, making memories that will last a lifetime. So, booking a vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. They offer easily bookable, all-inclusive vacation packages with exclusive non-stop vacation flights to your favorite vacation destinations. Explore deals to AMR Collection Resorts and plan your luxury vacation with ease. It's like turning on easy mode. Get started at applevacations.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.